The following is a conversation with George St. Pierre, considered by many to be the greatest fighter in the history of UFC and MMA, but even more than that, one of the greatest martial artists ever. Quick mention of our sponsors, Allform, ExpressVPN, Blinkist, Theragun, and The Information. Check them out in the description to support this podcast. As a side note, let me say that getting the chance to hang out with George, talk to him on the podcast, record a quick self-defense video that I'll release soon, all while both of us wearing suits, was one of the most memorable days of my life. In setting all this up, I talked to Joe Rogan, and originally we couldn't schedule a chat with him and George on the JRE, which allowed me to pretend for a brief time that George came down to Austin just to see me. Who the hell am I? In truth, him and Joe probably conspired to make me feel special, but that's the point. It's inspiring to see George and Joe, who are at the top of their field, treat others as equals, as human beings, no matter who they are, even silly Russians in a suit. Meeting George was an honor for me beyond words. As usual, I'll do a few minutes of ads now, no ads in the middle. I try to make these interesting, but I give you timestamps so you can skip, but still please check out the sponsors in the description. It really is the best way to support this podcast. I'm really fortunate to be able to be very selective with the sponsors we take on. So hopefully if you buy their stuff, and you should, you'll find value in it just as I have. Speaking of which, this show is sponsored by a new sponsor called Allform, a furniture company. They're new in terms of reads, but I've been using them for a long time. They ship to your home quickly, take it back for free if you don't like it in the first 100 days. It's easy to assemble, looks beautiful and classy, so of course I like it, but it also just feels amazing. In fact, before all the sponsorship stuff, I had their love seat that uh, I recently released a conversation with Michael Malice and Yaron Brook, but the previous conversation with Michael Malice, I got to hang out with him on that love seat uh, for a few hours after our conversation. You know, there's something about a love seat that forces you to commit to this journey you're on with the other person. Like we're gonna be in this together. Armchair is like wolf pack of one. And then a couch is like, well, I'm not sure I'm gonna commit yet. I'm just here to have some fun and to explore possibilities, relationships. Love seat says we're in this ride or die, let's go. So choose wisely, which one you want. <laughs> anyway, go to allform.com slash Lex. They're offering 20% off all orders if you go to allform.com slash Lex. This show is sponsored by ExpressVPN. I use it to help keep my data and online interactions private, much more private than when you use incognito mode. I'm looking at you, internet. <laughs> Incognito is not protecting you. It's funny, there are some tools that just kind of make us feel secure, and there's some tools that actually increase our security and privacy. I think a good tool should do both. And I think a big part of that, which not many tech companies are doing, is transparency. I believe that using people's data isn't the fundamental violation of privacy. I think a lack of clear transparency about the use of data is the violation. Therefore, I think the first step in fixing privacy on the internet is being transparent about it. I can talk about that for hours. This is just an ad read for ExpressVPN, so I'll just shut up. Anyway, go to expressvpn.com slash LexPod to get an extra three months free. That's expressvpn.com slash LexPod, one of my favorite tools. Get it. Hopefully, you'll enjoy it too. This episode is supported by 
Blinkist, my favorite app for learning new things. Blinkist takes the key ideas from thousands of nonfiction books and condenses them down into just 15 minutes that you can read or listen to. I think reading stuff on screen or on paper is essential to do every single day. And uh, Daniel Kahneman has the idea of thinking fast and thinking slow. I think there should be a concept of reading fast and reading slow. I think Blinkist is really great for reading fast. So giving you a shallow understanding of the landscape of knowledge out there. I think it's really important to do because there's not enough time to do that kind of deep reading on everything. And at the same time, you also should be doing slow reading, which is just going very carefully, very slowly through particular books or blogs or even tweets, to be honest, giving ideas a chance to breathe in your mind and develop thoughts onto those ideas and let them sort of flourish, kind of uh, date or have a relationship with a book for many months. Anyway, go to Blinkist.com slash Lex to start your free seven-day trial and get 25% off a Blinkist premium membership. That's Blinkist.com slash Lex. This show is also sponsored by Theragun, a handheld percussive therapy device that I use after workouts for muscle recovery. <laughs> Mentioning Theragun, and every time I seat in my room reminds me of the previous summer where I had to do the insane amount of uh, push-ups and pull-ups and really ask myself some difficult questions about what I am and am not willing to do in the physical domain, but also in the mental domain. I actually think physical exercise is the easiest way to allow you to explore your own limits. I think sometimes it's almost more dangerous to explore the limits of your mind in the intellectual domain in the thinking domain, Nietzsche talks about this with the gazing into the abyss. Anyway, when you bring up Nietzsche in an ad read, you know you've gone too far. Theragun, friends, <laughs> is surprisingly quiet, easy to use, comes with a great app that guides you through everything you need to know. You can try it for 30 days, the Theragun Gen 4 with the OLED display. It starts at $199. Go to theragun.com slash lex. That's theragun.com slash lex. Oh, and by the way, I bought a podcast with David Goggins. For people who haven't been paying attention, I got injured. So we delayed the crazy challenge we're going to do together and the awesome podcast we're going to do together. I'm sure we're going to do that maybe in May and June, that kind of thing. Maybe I'm uh, coming up with excuses to delay it a little bit, but trust me, it's going to happen. This show is also sponsored by The Information. They do in-depth, data-driven, investigative journalism in the world of technology. They are actually the first people that made me realize that good journalism costs money. A few years ago when I signed up, I was actually broke, but it was worth it. It's funny, maybe actually part of it is when you pay for stuff, you really take it seriously. But at the same time, you have to pay for that kind of long-term deep dives that journalists have to do. I don't always agree with what they write in there, but I always learn a lot. That's what journalism is supposed to do. Anyway, get 75% off your first month if you sign up at theinformation.com slash Lex. That's theinformation.com slash Lex. Beyond just the content, I see it as a good way of supporting in-depth journalism. I hope you do as well. This is the Lex Friedman Podcast, and here is my conversation with my Long-time martial arts hero, and now my friend, Mr. George St. Pierre.
in your fighting career, were you more motivated by the love of winning or the fear and hatred of losing? I like to win better than I hate to lose because if it would not have been the case, I would never have fought in the first place because I don't like to fight at all. But you talked about the anxiety, the fear that you experienced leading up to a fight. So to you, ultimately, the reason to go through that difficult process is because it feels damn good to have your hand raised? There is that. There is also the fact that martial art I've been introduced when I was very young, and it's probably the best thing I can do in my life. Fighting, it's, that's what I do best. Also, it provides me of freedom, of access of things that most of people do not have, um, but all that as a price and a lot of money. I made a lot of money, of course, with it. I was maybe predisposed with certain abilities. I met incredible mentors through all my life. I worked really hard. And of course, I had a lot of chances. The, the stars were all aligned. And in order to, to kept, keep that, those advantages of freedom, money, and glory, and access of things that most people don't have, and have the, these dream life that I have, I had to sacrifice myself and fight in order to keep it. It's very hard to understand because I also believe most fighters are not like me. They, a lot of guys, because I corner a lot of guys, and it seems to me that they love their job. They enjoyed to, to go fight in a cage. I love to train. I love the science of fighting, the sport, the, to, to be in good shape, the confidence that training in mixed martial art give me. However, I do not like the feeling of uncertainty, the stress, that I have not knowing if I will be badly injured or humiliated or winning the fight. It's to me unbearable. And it, that's what takes the most out of me, more than brain damage, more than anything. That's what takes the most out of me. But the thing you get from it is the freedom that you get because, uh, because of the money, but because of the celebrity, because of everything that comes with it. So yes. you can be the best version of yourself because of fighting. But the, at the same time, you've said that, quote, I don't believe there's pleasure in life. I believe there's only a relief from pain. We have to suffer to be on top. So isn't there something to just the suffering in itself, just doing really difficult shit just to get to the top? To explain that and so people can relate to it because not everybody's a fighter. I think the best example I can gives is let's say you're you haven't eat for a long time and you're you're craving right so you're suffering and then when it's time to eat finally you're about to eat your favorite dish it's gonna taste so much better so that's why i believe there is always a some sort of sacrifice before the pleasure and the more sacrifice you do <laughs> like the, they say in fighting the, the bigger the risk bigger is the reward. And I feel that's that's how it it is for me. Yeah, I feel that with, uh, I've started fasting a little bit in the past couple of years. 
And uh, there's nothing as amazing as a delicious meal or anything, actually anything, any food when you haven't eaten for several days. It's it's kind of incredible. Uh, and it's not inc it's not incredible in this simple way of finally I get to eat. It's <laughs> you get to truly experience the the beauty of of what it is to be alive. Like that little piece of food, you see all the flavors, you you you, you feel just the experience of it is uh, ultimately of gratitude of how awesome it is to be alive. But when you eat many times a day and you're pigging out and <laughs> you don't get to experience that. And it's fascinating. It's, re it's really like fasting is one of the most accessible things for people, I think, to experience that kind of uh, pairing of hardship to pleasure. I agree. And in my case, it changed my life on a good, good way. I cannot recommend it to people because everybody is different. But after my, uh, to, to fight Michael Bisping, my last fight was against uh, the champion in the heavier weight class that I used to compete at. So I thought that if I would gain weight, it would increase my performance. Yeah. And I struggled a lot to gain weight. I gained a little, about eight to 10, 10 pounds. Normally I walk around 185 pounds. And for that fight, I was walking around 195. However, I forced myself to eat like six times a day. I was on a very uh, strict diet and I didn't feel, it didn't feel right to me because I feel like I, I was carrying, like a little bit like I was carrying a bag on my shoulder. Mm -hmm. And I think it was a bad idea for me because when I, did the weigh the weigh-in, and I I go went on a scale at 185. I couldn't go back to my initial weight that was 180, 195 that I worked so hard for several months yeah. to get there. So I was 190 pound, but I couldn't get back. And the morning of the fight, I I I, I got I got sick. I had like uh, we didn't know what what it was in the beginning, because in order to know. To find out what it was, I needed to do what they call a colonoscopy. They put a camera inside of you. Mm -hmm. And to do that, they give you um, something that make, that that empty you. And I was trying to gain weight, not to lose weight. <laughs> so I, I told myself, I, I'm going to wait after the fight, yeah. whatever it is, because it was pretty bad. It was blood. And it, I, I didn't know what I was. I was very concern, concerned. I thought I had maybe cancer. I was freaking out. So I said, I'm going to do that fight. And then after right away, I'm gonna make a checkup. Hmm. So I did the fight, everything went well. I won the fight, I went back home, I did a colonoscopy and I, I got diagnosed with ulcer colitis. Then I got on very severe medication uh, to get better. And I'm not a big fan of medication. I always trying to look for more natural way to, to, to get better. And I found out about fasting and um, it really changed my life. I met Dr. Jason Fong, who's one of the one of, one of the world authority of, of, of fasting. He treat diabetes patient with fasting, and he gave me a program of fasting, and um, it really changed my life. And right away, what I did is I went in a in a CAT scan to see the difference mm -hmm. because it was right after my fight with Michael Bisping, and I. I did the CAT scan. So I had my uh, muscle mass, bone density, 
uh, fat percentage, water retention. It's pretty amazing. It can show you which arm has more muscle than, than the <laughs> other. It, it's very precise. And I did it like uh, two, two months after. Yeah. So I, I started doing um, time-restricted eating, 16-8. Uh, but right, the, right away when I started, I did three days water fast. And the doctor, nice. Jason Fung, says, because I like to train during those days, I, uh, cons I consume Himalayan salt to make sure, uh, because when you sweat, there's a lot of minerals to, to make sure you don't deplete your mineral. And um, when I went, when I compared the two results in the CAT scan, I found out my biggest concern was to lose muscle mass. I found out that I did not lose muscle mass. Instead of losing it, I, it increased a little bit. Even though my weight on the scale was lighter, I, I kept the same muscle mass, even increases a little bit. My bone density increases a little bit. Mm -hmm. My water retention is the biggest thing that decreases. So the, my inflammation mm -hmm. and my fat percentage. So basically, the, by looking at the data, I found out that by eating so much, trying to gain weight for to fight Michael Bisping, I only increases my water retention, <laughs> yeah. which is not good because it's like dead weight and inflammation on you. So what uh, was the actual process of fasting? You said 16, eight, time restricted, so intermittent fasting, but you also mentioned the three hour, uh, the three day water fast. What did that feel like? And you also said training during the three day? Yes. How, how did that feel? Well, can you give me some details of Absolutely. this is fascinating? So I do three days water fast, uh, four times a, a year. Nice. Uh, for me, I do it, it, everybody is different, but for me, I do it after uh, New Year's because during the, the holidays, that's when I, I, I eat bad foods and yeah. I drink. I see it more like a, like a cleansing, you know, like a, like, like a detox, so to speak. Mental too, like psychological. Yes. I do it after the New Year's, right before the summer, <laughs> cut for the beach if yeah, I have to be, go. Yeah, yeah. After the summer, because of the summer, I've been partying a little yeah. bit sometimes, yeah. let, let myself go. And right before the the holidays. Yeah. And um, I've tried, the doc, Dr. Fung, he says to me, he said, George, everybody's different because I'm a, I'm a very active person and everybody has a different genetic. So, so for me, I, I feel that three days is the sweet spot because I still train during those three days. The first day, the first two days, I don't change nothing. I, I train regular on, a reg, on my regular schedule. However, on the, on the third day, I modify a little bit. I, I do something more, uh, more easy. And that's how I do it. And, and uh, I've tried before, because I, when I say three days is my sweet spot, mm -hmm. I've tried to go up to five days. But the problems is after my third days, I've, I've found out that I had a big problem sleeping. I, I get into a hyperactive mode. Yeah. They call that the hunter gather uh, uh, mode, you know, like you, 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 your brain, I mean, it's amazing. Your creativity is at yeah. its peak, but you cannot sleep very well. And sleeping for, I, for me, I think it's very important. So four, that's four. why I do three days. For me, it's my sweet spot. That's interesting. You're right. It's the four or five days when you start See, I, sleep is not important for me. So the the creativity is really important. So it's it's very interesting what, the places your mind goes after a few days. You're right, but uh, I mean, what does it do to your mind? So you mentioned your body likes it. In terms of training, does it um, 
do you find that it helps you focus and think? I mean, you're one of the great strategic thinkers in terms of martial arts. Does it help with learning? Does it help with thinking? Does it help with strategizing and all that? Well, unfortunately, I got into fasting after I retired. <laughs> I wish I would have, I really wish people ask me, would you have done it during the time that you competed? And the answer is yes. Mm. I think we live in a society that we're bombarded by publicity. Oh, buy this, eat protein, uh, uh, this, that, and fasting, nobody makes money with it because there's <laughs> nothing to sell, you yeah. know? I yeah. think that's why it, a lot of people have not heard about it. And even my, for myself, if someone would have talked to me about fast, the benefits of fasting when I was training, before I got sick, I would probably have ignored, yeah. ignored him because yeah. it, I'm not, you know, it, it was, it's hard to believe. Sort of sounds speak. ridiculous. It Don't sounds, eat. <laughs> yes. It's going to help your mind and you're going to gain muscle potentially. Exactly. And, and perhaps people have talked to me about it, but I kind of, it, it went in one of my hair and got out <laughs> from the other yeah. side, you know, but uh, it really changed my, my life. And uh, I, I'm dying. I was diagnosed with ulcer colitis and it helps me get rid of all my symptoms. What I do is, I know a lot of people have ulcer colitis and, and for me, I cannot recommend it to, to other people because everybody is, is different. But for me, I made a, a lot of research of how people from ulcer colitis got better. And I found out that a lot of people that got that condition uh, get better in the natural way through fasting, eating fermented food, collagen, and like bone broth and, and stuff for the gut. And it, it made a, a huge difference in my life. I just wish I would have known that before. So do you have a specific diet-wise uh, stuff you like? So, like, you know, I've recently, another ridiculous sounding thing, but it makes me feel really good, is very low carbs. So, you know, keto or even carnivore, it sounds ridiculous. It doesn't make any sense, but it makes me feel really good even for performance. Is Rogan has influenced you, huh? He's no, a carnivore I, diet. I was influenced actually by people. <laughs> yeah, well, he... <laughs> There's, I'll tell you where, because I was doing it before he was doing it, uh, is there's, it was uh, popular in the endurance athlete community where it was fat adapted athletes. It's people who, insane people who run 50 miles, 100 miles, they figured out that they could fuel their body by, with fat. They can go to fat as, as the source of energy as opposed to carbs. So I remember hoping that I'll be able to learn how to run 50 miles and so on. I've never done more than 22, but it, I, I just remember switching away from carbs and feeling really liberated. Like I wasn't thinking about food as much. I'm able to eat once a day and feel really good. I mean, it, I think every, everybody's body is different, but I think carbs make me lazy. <laughs> Maybe it's because uh, the there's, crash. yeah, it's the crash, but also just uh, psychologically something, uh, it, uh, it forces me to also think about food too much. Like it starts becoming, you know, our, just like you said, our society is so much about food. There's so many, so much advertisement and so much of our social life is about food. And so it's very easy to live life, like live day to day thinking, when is the next meal? Like, what am I gonna eat for lunch? What am I gonna eat for dinner? What am I gonna eat for breakfast? And uh, if you're not careful, that's gonna get in the way of you doing cool shit for 
like liberating yourself and thinking like, what am I actually passionate about in this life? Like creating and forgetting to eat, that, those kinds of things, and still being able to fuel your body. I don't know. It's been fascinating to, to figure out like later in life that carbs aren't necessary to function well. <laughs> It's, it makes me think like we don't know anything about nutrition. That's right. <laughs> the, the, you, you know, uh, personally, I don't think I could have a diet without carbs. I love chocolate too much. I, it, for me, eating, it's a, it's a pleasure of life. I love my carbs. I love my sugar. However, if you talk about diet, I don't have a specific diet. But recently, I what I'm trying to do is the days that I do not work out, I only eat once. That's kind of my rules. Plus, I try to respect 16-8 and do my three-day fast uh, 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 four times a year. And, but the rest of the thing, I, 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 I let myself loose because I, I, I don't think I would be happy if I, if I, uh, if I, if I don't give myself the, 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 the right to, to eat. For me personally, I love to eat so much. Next. <laughs> and... Um, <laughs> You talk about uh, diet, carnivore diet. It's very interesting because I, I um, a few years ago, I went to uh, Africa in uh, Maasai Mara. And uh, it's a tribe in, uh, in, in uh, East Africa. And um, I went to visit them. I did a safari. And I talked to them. And these guys, they, their diet is 99% carnivore. They, they, that's crazy. And you should see they're very beautiful people shredded. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like, some people would say, oh, it's genetic. I'm like, yeah, maybe it's genetic. But I mean, and <laughs> think about the Eskimos also that like most of their diet is on, on fish, right? Yeah. They, they, so I believe it can be done, you know, like I believe it can be done uh, like an exclusive carnivore diet. And I, I think I'm going to try it pretty soon just to have the experience, you know, to see how it feels like. Well, you're going to hang out with Joe. Uh, <laughs> be careful bringing it up because he'll convince you to uh, forever switch to carnivore. Definitely. He loves it. I mean, but just like you, I think he loves food. So he's he can't ever stay on carnivore. It was funny because we went to an Italian restaurant together and I still only eat meat. Like I love... Um, I love the constraints of discipline. That's that's partially why I like carnivore. I like saying no to food that is delicious. <laughs> uh, but uh, part of the problem is that I don't know how to moderate. You said chocolate. I don't know how to have one chocolate. Is mm -hmm. that something you're able to do? Have like in moderation? No, it's when it when I have an opportunity, I do it. I yeah, don't have any. I'm an extremist person, uh, Lex. I I. I that's the thing. I when I when I have a chance, I I like I I just eat. I go too much, and and that's why I like about my life. You know, that's what I like about fasting, because probably if I, if I would not have discovered fasting, eating chocolate would give me cramps and and all yeah. sorts of problems. Yeah, because people on ulcer colitis normally they cannot eat chocolate, they cannot drink alcohol. But I believe because I'm fasting, that's the reason why I'm. I'm medication, med medicine, medication free. I can eat whatever I want, whenever I want. But I have to do that that fasting, you know. And now it becomes to a, it became to a point that it's no longer hard for me. It's it's like normal. I I don't even force myself. Yeah. I don't. It's easy. You know what I mean. <laughs> Some of my friends thinks I'm think I'm I'm insane. You know. But I <laughs> I tell them it's like with 
when you get used to it, it becomes like an, an habit. And and I'm and I know that Antar Gadar, like our ancestor, did not eat three times a day. It's 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 not true. They they ate when they they could, and when they eat, they 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 feed themselves as much as they can until that because the next time because they didn't know when, when they, they they could eat again, right? So it's uh I think that's how we're 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 built, you know, to 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 have this similar lifestyle. If we could take a step back to the discussion about fear a little bit, so Mike Tyson talks about this process of him walking to the ring. He sounds similar to you in many ways of the anxiety and the fear that he experiences. And uh, he, he has this uh, sort of story that he tells about walking to the ring and being supremely afraid. But as he walks and gets closer and steps in, he finds the confidence and becomes supremely confident. I think he calls himself like a god. I feel like a god in the ring. Uh, is, is, do you go through a similar process of finding the confidence? Well, it yes, and uh, I use I use a James Lange theory. They, they they they. So what I do is because I'm 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 not afraid to admit that I'm afraid. And uh, in the beginning of my of my career, I really thought I asked myself because I was very good in mixed martial art, but I I I really thought I wasn't made for this because the idea of fighting didn't was was didn't make me happy it's something like i i was i was forced to do in order to keep that lifestyle that i have and achieve my goal perhaps one day to make enough money to retire and you know that that was my dream but when i was looking around the gym where i was training most of my training partners they were happy they were excited and sometimes i corner i corner a lot of guys and they're happy and they're in the locker room they don't react the same way i do some perhaps does, but if you see me in the locker room, <laughs> not, like when I get, like my last fight with Michael Bisping, just to give you an example, in my last fight with Michael Bisping, because it's fresh, it's the one that is the most recent, and but it's always the same thing. My last fight in my Bisping, I get in the locker room, I had like three guys that I train with, Mickey Gall, Eamon Zahabi, and uh, jo Joseph Duffy. They all lost. It was like a like it, my my locker room was basically cursed. The you know the when you're in a locker room and people from your locker room leave for a fight and then they come back. It's kind of a momentum. You know you 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 shake and yeah, good job. Now it's my turn. you know it's kind of a team a brotherhood sort of thing. So the <laughs> the 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 atmosphere in my locker room was pretty bad. It was like uh, going to a you know, like a funeral. <laughs> so I was very scared. And every, before every fight, I, I, I asked myself, I, I asked myself always, shit, what the hell I'm doing here? Why did I choose to come back? Oh my God. And, and, and I'm freaking out. However, I'm putting on a mask like I'm acting. Because if I don't do that, it will reflect on my coaches. And if my coach, my, my, the confidence of my coaches is affected, it will reflect reflect on me. So I need to feel strong. I need to make them believe that I'm excited to be there and I'm happy to be there. So this sort of play start when I get when I first step in the locker room. Even though I feel completely different 
but that's how I play it. Normally, the day, the fight day, I never felt feel a hundred percent. I always feel exhausted, tired. Uh, my highs are hitching because I don't sleep enough the few nights before because I'm constantly rehearse, rehearsing scenarios that might happen in the fight. So mentally, it's not that I'm not on top. But you keep all that to yourself. I keep it to myself and I'm lying to everybody around me. <laughs> but everybody knows, you know. <laughs> Ferraz, John Denaher, they, they know Freddie Roach. They've been with me for a long time, so they know what's going on. But at least... I'm lying to them. I'm like, hey, I'm feeling great. So, and seeing all my training partner, like very disappointed because they lost their fight. Some were, were badly hurt as well. It was hard. So, and I remember I get, I get warm, I get, I start the warm up and everything. And as you start the warm up, you become a different person mm -hmm. because, you know, we know that certain posture in yoga can affect your, men your mental state. But it's, I would say it's a little bit the same thing in, in fighting, you know? Like when you start hitting the pads, you, your your muscle memory, your instincts comes back and, and you, you remember that you're good at this, you know? And, and your yeah. confidence start to grow. And as seeing your trainers holding the pad and, and repeating your moves, it makes you also remember all the sacrifice you have done through your, your training camp. And confidence comes from how you prepared yourself. And even you're afraid... You can be confident, confident in the same time. Being afraid and being confident is two different things. And before every fight, just right before I walk in, it's when I'm scared, I go in, in the bathroom and I look at myself in the mirror. I used to have a bandana and a, and a gi, <laughs> but now I, it, no more, I didn't have this, this for my last fight because of the, the, the new Reebok deal they had. But I did the same rehearsal that I always do. I look at myself in the mirror and I start to compliment myself. Like, even if I don't believe it, I'm starting to trying to believe it as I am. I'm, I'm finding all the reason why I'm going to win the fight. And and all my trainer knows that before every fight, when, when the guy from the UFC goes and step in my room and says, St. Pierre, you're up next, I always take a few minutes to do that, that same rehearsal. And I tell myself, I'm going to win this fight because... I'm better and, and and I'm very cocky about myself. I'm telling all the reasons that oh, I'm gonna gonna win. I'm I got a better team. I made more sacrifice, you know. I'm I'm faster, I'm more powerful, way more athletic. My fighting IQ is better than him. I got a strategy on point that he's never gonna be able to keep up with and, and this and that. And I'm and I was telling myself, hey, I'm gonna show these young kids how things should be done. <laughs> you know, I'm trying to boost myself. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Try to, to boost yourself and you start to believe in it. You become a different person. So when you walk out the bathroom, now rock and roll. <laughs> now I really believe it for real. You know, like I'm still scared, but I believe it for real. And that's the transformation that happened for me right there. And from that, from now, from, from there to the fight, it's until the fight is over. It's called, I call it cruise control. Because I, you don't have time to think in a fight. If you're trying to think, you're missing the opportunity. So yeah. that's how I see it for, for myself. So at that point, you stop thinking. And you just go cruise control, autopilot. Trust yourself, you know. Trust yourself because you, you repeated all the scenarios, you know. So everything that you have done, it's it's inside the, the, your computer. Your computer, your brain is programmed to react accordingly to certain situations. And the... It's not the, the night of the fight that you, you'll, you'll tell yourself, oh, finally, I'm going to do this if you do this. No, no. If you have not practiced it before, you're screwed. 
it, it the preparation, the repetition that makes it happen, you know? What about like the really difficult moments in a fight where you are tested to your limits, essentially? Usually it's cardio-related exhaustion, right? Where you have to ask yourself that same question. It's like, why the hell am I doing this? <laughs> yeah. Uh, do, you, do, you, do you experience those or are you able to ride through the autopilot? And if you do, like, what do you do in those moments? Never in a fight. When I'm in a fight, when it's the the when the fight is is on, I never change my mind. I go until the end. However, for example, my first fight with BJPen, I, I had a terrible first round, so I had to switch gear. That happened sometimes, but it's part of my plan. I always have a plan B, plan plan A, plan B, plan C. You need to have that. If fighters goes into a fight thinking, oh, what I'm, I'm going to do this, 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 and they don't have a plan B, if this doesn't work, that's mean they're not well prepared. If you talk to me before every fight, I can, like in 30 seconds, give you my whole strategy. You know, for, for BJ Penn, my first fight with BJ Penn was, oh, I'm going to keep it standing up, uh, uh, keep the fight from the outside, you know, because I'm faster than him. Then the fight with BJ Penn start. I found out that I was not faster than him. And I found out that his reaction time was better than, 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 than mine. So I got beat up the first round. And I got a bloody nose and everything. So my plan B was now I'm going to wrestle him. You know, I'm going to wrestle him and, and, you know, make, make him tired and trying to put him down. And that's how I beat him because I switched gear, you know. But if you can't do that, if, if you cannot find a way to become the perfect nemesis to your opponent, you 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 might win a few fight, but you you're gonna find a, a, you're gonna fight someone sooner or later that will that will give you a lot of uh, uh, a lot of trouble. So that's where the anxiety pays off. You're anticipating all the ways it goes wrong, so you develop the plan B and plan C. Hi, uh, you know we talked a lot with uh, like John Donaher, who you work with. It's interesting. I don't think I've heard him talk about plan B and plan C. He usually has a really clear plan A, an entire system of plan A. I don't think I've heard him. We've had uh, we had a, 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 a good discussion about it in um, uh, over some cheeseburgers, <laughs> <laughs> and he's uh, he was kind of espousing the value of mastering escapes. So when you f find yourself in bad situations being exceptionally good at finding ways out of those bad situations. And that's a way of dominance. There's nothing, there's no better way to dominate your opponent, according to him, than to show that they can't possibly hurt you no matter how bad the position is. Uh, it's like, a, it's a, as opposed to a physical dominance, it's a psychological dominance. It's very interesting. But I wonder if he has plan B and plan C in his mind too. You know, in, in uh, mixed martial arts, sometimes it's like in science, sometimes you can make a mis like a, a mistake, you know, like a, every human can make a mistake, you know. There's certain sport or a certain situation that you, if there's a mistake made, you're, 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 that's it, exactly. Sometimes it's the case in MMA, but sometimes you're able to redeem yourself. And, and uh, if you look at the fight with BJ Penn, one that I had, which was probably one of the most competitive fight. I, and it was probably the, it was the fight that I got the most damage and I was messed up. It took me three days, like two, three days to recuperate from that fight. I was really damaged. 
And my first fight versus my second fight, I made a lot of adjustment because I have learned from my first fight. And also I had a guy, one thing people don't know, like they talk about fighters having secret weapons. See, for me, my secret weapons was not, like some is that they use like certain, like different things. For me, it was knowledge. I had a guy in Montreal, he was measuring frames. He's not a scientist, he's, he's, a, he's a friend of, of uh, Ferris and I. And what he does, he, he watch fight and he measure frames. The way he does it is when you watch a fight and one of the guy throw a punch, he, he, he cut the picture by frame, the, the video by frame. Clack, 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 clack. So he's able to see which fighter has better reaction time than others. And BJ Penn, he found out that BJ Penn, of all the UFC roster at the time when he was in his prime, he had probably the best reaction time of all. According to him, Lyoto Mashido was the second one. But BJ Penn was the first one. So I knew that if I would try to go first, because I've always been the fastest guy normally when I fight someone. But when I fought BJ Penn, I tried to go first. And he was always able to, like, I never was never able to, to touch him with my jab, and he came back with a counterpunch. However, because of what he told me, I knew that BJ Penn has a very fast reaction time, but had a very poor reset time. To him, the way he described it to me is like your nervous system is like a muscle. BJ Penn was so fast, but he's like more like a sprinter. So what I did the second fight, I, when I fought BJ Penn, I made him flinch. Like I fake a lot. So I make him react and flinch. So all that, that reaction time that he used to flinch was not used properly to avoid my punches. So he, I burn, I, I load up his, his nervous system with a lot of information and, fi and fake and to make him flinch and pretending I was kicking and wrestling. So he got overwhelmed and he got tired very, very fast. So that's how I beat him. People sometimes they don't know really what's the strategy behind the thing. They only see the physical part. But when you fight someone, if I fight you, I look at you in the eyes. There's a lot of things that going on between you and I. I can look down here, bam, jab you in the face. The, the audience will not see these little details, but you will see it. And that's what it makes the magic during a fight. The relation that you have with the opponent, you know, like, like the mental game, what you, you make him believe. Those little things, I use a lot of those. If you, if you talk to a lot of my opponent, they'll tell you, like, I use a lot of these little things. You know, like I look down at banner, I go, I go up, or I, I'm pretending I'm, I want to attack you, so I I'm, I'm make you flinch. But in reality, I'm just doing this because I want to rest, I want to recuperate, and I'm tired. How much is, you know, people talk about that with poker, for example. How much is the value of this, you know? So, like, some people argue that poker is more about the betting. You know, it's just the money. It's just how much you bet and so on. So that would be more, like, uh, the analogy there with, with fighting would be just strictly the physical movement of your body. And then a lot of people argue that there's a lot here in the way you look, in the little movements in the face. So do you, you think there's, do you think you're communicating with your opponent when you look at them? There's no way to know for sure 100%. And I'm by no, no mean psychic, nothing like that. And I don't believe in that at all. The only thing is I know through looking through the eyes of my opponent when he's afraid and when he gives up on me. Yeah, I've been accused very often in my career to not take enough risk, to not finish my opponent. But the reason why I didn't finish my opponent is because 
I saw in his eyes that he gave up. He gave me the fight and I'm winning the fight. So it's not up to me. It's not to me to make it, to try to sacrifice myself, trying to finish him. Perhaps if I do that, I will open up for, for him to, 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 uh, to capitalize on my mistake. It's up to him to make a risk. So people sometimes, they, they don't understand that this is the art of fighting, my friend, you know? Like if I'm winning the fight, like in hockey, in ice hockey, if you're winning the game and it's the third period, it, 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 it's at the end of the third period, you're not going to take out your goaltender trying to score another goal because winning 5-3 uh, f- uh, or 5-4 to four is the same thing. Same thing in MMA. We make a living out of this. And sometimes, it's, you know, as sad as, as bad as it can be, you want to save yourself for another day. You know, you want to minimize the damage. But if he knows he's losing the fight, it's up to him to take the risk. It's not up to me. So I'm a, I'm a good counterfighter. I use a lot of my attack or, or counter strike or, or reactive takedown or proactive takedown. That's my specialty. So I'm not going to... I, I have no desire to sacrifice myself trying to, to, to trying to finish my opponent if he want to if, if if perhaps I might give him the opportunity to capitalize on me it's it's not it's not smart to do that and, and very often when I fight someone I can read him I see the fear in his eyes now I'm like I got you now he's very desperate that doesn't mean I have to put my guard down because he's gonna, he's gonna be desperate but I know I'm beating you and I know I'm beating you. I'm just going to do what I need. You know, if I have a chance, of course, I'll knock him out. But I'm not going to try to sacrifice myself to knock you out. And if you do that, maybe one day you'll make a mistake and you'll get dropped and you're, you'll, you'll tell yourself, I like, shoot, I just got brain damage. Maybe I'm never going to come back the same. Maybe, you know, I, I, I ruined my career or, you know, it's a, it's a very serious game that we're playing. It's very dangerous. In the face of that, risk i mean uh mike tyson talked about you know when uh, the opponent looks away he knows he's got him right that uh that he's broken for a person like me who (laughs) has trouble making eye contact with people there's (laughs) there's truth to that i mean there there's truth to that that there's there's an animal nature to us looking away I mean, you could see that the way the body language, the way the eyes move between two animals going at it uh, in in the wild when like two lions fight or two whatever fight. There's a certain beta move when you've de- you've been defeated. Yes, or, or one thing when I know that that it, when it happened, one of the signs is when I just like make a faint and the guy flinch like crazy. That's mean he's really scared of me. It's a little bit like you're 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 doing this. That guy flinched a little bit, or you're doing this. He's flinched. Like oh, he, that, that's mean you hurt him, and he doesn't want to get hurt again. So he, he's he's really trying to run away and not not winning the fight anymore, but not losing. So sort of surviving the 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 five round. And it's hard to to finish a guy who does doesn't want to fight. A guy who's not fighting anymore to win and is fighting to not lose. And the proof of that, if you don't believe me, just look the reign of all the greatest champions in UFC. Uh, I don't care who they are, John Jones or... or, or uh, like, you could clearly see that in the beginning of their reign, they could, you know, finish a lot of their opponents. The same, same as me. In the beginning, I was finishing a lot of my opponents. But there's a time that the entire UFC roster is studying you. And they found ways to... Perhaps not beating you, but they find a way to 
navigate through the, the, the fight in a way that they minimize the damage. You know what I mean? So it's a big difference between fighting to win and fighting to not lose. You said that there's a difference between a fighter and a martial artist. So now we were talking about fighting. You're considered by many to be one of the greatest fighters of all time. But you've said that there's a difference between a fighter and a martial artist. A fighter is training for a purpose. He has a fight. I'm, I'm a martial artist. I don't train for a fight. I train for myself. I'm training all the time. My goal is perfection, but I will never reach perfection. So what to you does it mean to be a martial artist? Martial artist is because that lifestyle that I have has been introduced to me and the seed has been planted to my mind a long, long time ago by, by my father. I, um, I do not train because I have a fight. I will always train. Even now, it, it kind of amused me that to see that a lot of people, because I'm still training, because I love the science of fighting. I do not like to fight, but I love the science of it. And I will always do it as long as I can do it. People think I'm going to make a comeback and everything. I'm I'm about to get to have 40 years old, you know? Like, it's... I'm, you know, like... <laughs> well, Mike Tyson... I don't want to fight in a cage at 40 years old. I mean, it, some people have done it and they did it very well, but I, I'm not one of them. I'm, I feel a little bit to me that... And you never say never. I feel like to me, like it's a little, like a kid that you play with a strain when he's young, like, then he's five years old, six years old, seven years old, eight years old. And then I'm always like, what the hell I'm doing here? And I'm too old for this. Like, like it's, I, I, I've done it, you know, and, 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 and I got out of it yeah. on top and, and I'm, I'm healthy, which is the most important thing right now. I'm touching wood and I'm, I'm wealthy. I beat the game, you know what I mean? In a way, like, I, I, that's not to be cocky, but I did it. And, and yeah. I wish more, more fighters could do the same thing. I wish, but I'm, it's unfortunate because a lot of them, they stay there and hang out f for too long and, and they get badly hurt. They get uh, beaten and, and, and broken, you know? And they finish broke as well because the lifestyle you have when you're a pro athlete, it's crazy, you know, it's it's. It's unbelievable. However, everything that goes up in life goes down and you need to plan your future, you know? So for, for me, what if some guys have the same mentality as me and they're watching us right now, I would say if you do it because you're just good at it, you like the money, the, the advantage, the freedom that it gives you, but you don't necessarily like to fight, when you're done, you finish on top, you know, go, go cash out and get out of here. Walk away. That's yes. really hard to do. However, Alex, it's not everybody that does it for that reason. Some people generally love to fight, love to compete. So they do it because they love it, you know, or they do it because of the money. But if you don't love it, if you don't like to fight because it's very stressful and you don't enjoy, you, you enjoy the training perhaps, but you don't like to fight, you do it because it's part of what you need to do in order to keep that lifestyle. Yeah. And you know, like you don't need the money. It's like, get out of here, man. If you're in your you're in your prime, get out of here. Because if you don't, you you you'll hurt your own legacy. You're, you'll damage your your health. It's it's very sad, and and it's a it's a it's a sad business. You know what I mean? I, 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 it's like a, a lot of uh, one one of the place where 
is the the, mo the mo one of the most happiest place for me to go and the most the saddest place for me to go it's in the gym it's in tristar in montreal because it's one of the happiest places for me to go because i can go train and do what i love to do but it's also a very sad place for me because after when i'm about to leave there's always a bunch of young kid that comes or, or guys that are around 30, 33 years old, and they come to me and say, hey, George, you have some advice for me? And I look at them. And if they're my friend, they're a real close friend of mine, I'll tell them the truth in their face. And I've done it many times, and it was not well received. But if they're not my friend, I have to, you know, you know, it's always an advice about fighting, and I answer their, their, their question, it's my pleasure. But the truth, if they, if they want me to tell the truth, the big majority of them, I would tell them, I said, listen, man, you're on a, maybe a three, like on a, on a losing street of three fight. You're 30, 33 years old, you know? I think you should think about doing something else in your life, you know, have other goals, you know, because you're not gonna make it. And, you know, I've seen that movie before and it's a very sad ending. And I'm, I'm sad to tell you the truth because you're not going to make the money. Just choose something. But if I tell them that, they're going to be angry at me because they're going to be like, oh, you, you make it and you think I cannot make it. So it's kind of, they're going to think I'm cocky. But I was lucky to make it. You know what? The, the stars were all aligned. But at one point, you need to be able to, to have a, a plan B, you know? Like, like some parent, they come to see me with their kids. Hey, this is the future world champion in the, in the UFC. And what advice would you give him? I always tell the same thing. And it does not make everybody happy when I said, I say, I go to the kids, say, are you good at school? Say, stay at school. School is very important for you. Stay educated. Yeah. Do boxing, martial arts, a great sport. Stay in shape. But don't put your eggs all in the same basket. And the parents sometimes are angry when I say, not angry, but I can see in their eyes. They're like, they, they kind of surprised. And it's not because I made it that I will tell their kid to follow the same path that I did. I went to school too, I've I, I studied. I, I dropped off school when I had my first world championship fight against Matt Hughes. But before that, I was school. So I had another, you know, uh, 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 another way to go if it, things would not have gone the same, the, the, the way I wanted. But the problem, and, and I'm saying that, it's not only about boxing and MMA, I'm talking about hockey, basketball, baseball, same, same thing. Maybe it's the one on the hundred thousand that make it. And I'm saying, I'm saying that make it. When I'm saying I make it, that's mean they can retire and have enough money for the rest of his life. Because it's a sad story. They only people only heard about the people that makes it. But a lot of fighters, even a UFC champion, in boxing champion, even in football, basketball, I don't, I don't, I don't care. The big names, when they retire, they have zero. They are bankrupt, my friend. And it's a very sad sad story and a sad reality that most people are not aware of but having other paths in life actually can also increase the chance of you dominating and like reaching the highest peak uh in your main thing i mean jimmy pedro i don't know if you know who that is is a judo coach in uh in, in america he was uh he says that to all of his athletes is to make sure that you go he has a lot of you know kayla harrison two-time olympic gold medalist so he has a lot of uh olympic medalists but basically there's something about going to school, like having an, forget school, any other avenue in life that gives you the freedom to go all out in your main. 
like that you, you know you're doing it for the right reasons you're not stuck it clears the mind to where you're free to be the best in the world yes as opposed to kind of you have to i mean at different people are motivated by different things so sometimes some people like uh, having their back to the wall and that's the only option they have but most people i think excel when you have other options i think it's a distraction and i think it's important to have a distraction uh when you say that i think about one of my coach john danaher he put his academic background experience into jiu-jitsu and that for me that's why he's the best teacher i ever had he's incredible he started teaching me when I even couldn't speak much English at the time. And I was able to communicate and understand, you know, that's how good he is. But I, I truly believe that most of athletes, especially in, in sport like mixed martial art, train way too much. If I could go back and talk to a young George, I would tell him, say, you do way too much volume. You train way too hard, train smarter, it's more important. And I think sometimes we, underestimate the benefit of uh, recuperation. Because you, I think you, we assimilate the information that we learn during a training when we recuperate and not during the training itself. And this whole mentality of uh, harder, heavier, you know, like, like, like it's, it's good for someone who's lazy. But if you're an elite athlete, most of the time, you know, like you're not always, but most of the time is because you're not lazy. And a lot of guys, sometimes they're elite athlete champions. And you hear people say, oh, I can't believe he's very gifted, but he doesn't work. But perhaps it's not really because perhaps it's because we don't understand. Perhaps he's doing the right thing. And it's us who's working too much and too hard. That's what I think. There's a guy I train with, he's, uh, he made me think about, about it. His name is Mansour Barnawi. He's gonna be a future, future star. He's, he's, he's an incredible fighter. He trained once a day. And he asked me sometime advice when he came to Montreal, he's from France. You'll hear about him, he's, he's, in, he's very good. And I, I saw him in the morning at TriStar and I said, okay, I'll see you perhaps later in the other training. He's, oh no, I only train once a day. And he kind of wait for me to give him like, like, like not, not an approval, but like to see how I react or, or, you know, I don't know. It was kind of a strange feeling, but I, I told myself at that point, I kind of I had an, an awakening and I, and I told myself, man, maybe he's doing the right thing. Because a lot, a lot of people would say, for example, oh, that's a lazy way of doing it. But perhaps it's the best way to do it. I'm not saying that, you know, training once a day is the, the best way to do it. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying that everybody is different. But for him, it works beautifully. And I wouldn't change anything, you know, like if I would be him because he, he's, he's improving like crazy. Yeah. And ultimately, the bigger picture there is to do something that everyone else is, uh, says is stupid. It's like the fasting thing that that a lot of people would say a lot of nutritional experts would say that that's that's a dumb way you know if you want to be an mma fighter you should be eating like many times a day you should be starting every day with oatmeal you should be carving up constantly <laughs> but that's not necessarily true for everybody and it's possible i'm sure there's actually now a few mma fighters that are carnivore only it's possible 
I, I, I used to eat right before training and I, it didn't bother me. However, now I, my first training that I do normally in average around noon, 11 a.m., I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I haven't eaten anything when I do my first training. And it feels to me that I'm, I'm much, I'm much more clear. I'm much more clear in my yeah. mind. I'm much more creative. I, I feel better. Yeah. Yeah. It's a big difference. I just wish I would have known that before. You know? Well, it's fascinating. The role of the mind in all of this, how important is it for your mind to be clear, to, to really think deeply. I, I there's a, there's a judoka American named Travis Stevens. I remember he said something that uh, the right kind of practice is when your mind is exhausted at the end of it, that you were constantly thinking through things, uh, like your body shouldn't be exhausted first, your mind should be exhausted first. It's really fascinating. So people think about training hard. You know, a successful practice is where you walk away just overwhelmed how much you had to think. It's fascinating framing of, um, of a successful practice. It's true. I, Travis Steven was uh, one of my main training partner when I got ready for my fight with uh, uh, Nick Diaz and Carlos Condit. <laughs> he drove every Friday from, I believe, Boston. Mm -hmm. It's like a six hour drive, drive, to the gym in Montreal, train with us an hour and a half, drive back. <laughs> He's got such an amazing discipline. I was so happy for him when he won the, the medal at the Olympic game. I, I, man, what a well-deserved, uh, you know, uh, uh, accomplishment. It's unbelievable. It paid off, you know, I'm, I was so happy for him. And every time we, we got to the the gym. He was waiting for me in a in 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 the kneeling position like a soldier. <laughs> I was like, my God, this guy is made of of steel, you know. And, and and after training, I always offer offer him. I say, hey, Travis, I know you 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 like to train with that because in Montreal they have very good judo team, Nicholas Gill and all that those guy. And I say, if you want to stay, I'll get you the hotel, you know, like every, anything you want. It's like, no, no, I got to go back. I have another training later. I'm like, not only that he trained with, with us, he had to go back because he had another training. I'm like, this is insane. And he's gone through a huge number of injuries. So he's also an innovator because, I mean, it's difficult to say, but for American judo, there's not many high-level judoka. So if you want to be the, like, fight with the best in the world, you're you have to be alone. It's a lonely journey, actually. It's kind of sad. Uh, it's much easier to be in Japan where everybody's a killer. When you're alone at it, it's uh, it's a difficult journey. And, you know, it's it's funny we talked about kind of there's some sports where a mistake is um, that's it. You know, you can't recover from a mistake. I think judo oftentimes is one of those sports. Oh. And added on top of that is... Um, the Olympics, only every four years. And Travis's story, he's the reason I, uh, when I saw him in 2008, is I, I started martial arts. Uh, I, sw I switched from like wrestling and street fighting <laughs> to doing jiu-jitsu and judo. Uh, and I just saw so much guts. And the in 2000, 
I might be messing up the years here, but in the next Olympics, he fought and he lost on just the referee call. Yeah. And just, he went to war and he just so much guts and just everything on the line and to lose and then to still persevere through all their injuries, through all of that, through, through incredibly difficult training sessions to go another four years and then compete and then win a medal. I mean, that guy is just, uh, and like he clearly could have been very successful. He's also an incredible jujitsu mm-hmm. competitor. So he could have switched to that, but he's stuck. In, in, in a lot of sport, when you're in elite, like for example, in Canada, ice hockey is the number one sport in the country. Uh, kids, when they're in elite, when they're young, they're, they get chosen and they're kind of a, already um, known as a, superstar you know the the school where they, where they go and, and the program they follow like i'm sure it's the same thing in us and basketball uh, baseball perhaps uh, uh american football because they already chosen so they grew up with that uh that it that it's that 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 uh superstar stardom so to speak and it's already gla- gla- sort of glamorous you know mm-hmm. however in 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 MMA, there's no MMA, judo, wrestling. Like in America, because it's not our national sport. It's it, actually it's it's not like even when I first started, it was not really well received by the media. There's no glamour into it. Now I don't know. It seems like it's another era now, and I feel sometimes that some people do it for the wrong reason. You know, some people do it because of the glamour, because of the money. But even if you're an elite and very good, the glamour and the money won't come in the beginning. It's a very long grind before, you know, it start, it start to come in and you need to make those sacrifices. And it's a, it's a journey that where you will be tested, you will be hurt repetitively, and you're going to have to, to, reach the down deep and come back up. And then once you finally think you made it, you're going to go back in the down deep again. It's a very exhausting and decouraging um, uh, adventure sometimes. But if you hold on to your dream and you believe in it, you know, and you have the the, the stars are, are aligned, you're going to make it. That's why it's only a few people that, that make it, you know? And and um, that's why I feel, I feel sometimes the, the, the new, a lot of people in the new generation do it for the wrong reason. In my in my generation, because of sport, at first it was there were no rules. Mm-hmm. I felt it was more pure. The people that did it was really because of the passion. They did, we didn't seek money, uh, fame. We did it because we wanted to be. I did it because I wanted to be the man. You know, I I like to have the confidence that when I walk somewhere, I'm. You know, I have the confidence that, you know, it's an illusion because nobody's faster than a bullet. Yes. But I wanted to achieve it for myself. And I, which today now, because I don't know if it's social media and all that, 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 that the, the world has changed. The glamour, the, you know, it's, I feel it's a different thing right now. Yeah, the uh, if you get in it for the glamour or the money, you may not have the right <laughs> the right amount of fuel to persevere through all the ups and downs. Yeah, for sure. You know, when you talk about motivation of uh, money and glamour, 
the, a guy comes to mind, and I don't know how many wrestlers you know, but in Russia, there's a guy named uh, Bovasiya Satyev, the Satyev brothers, one of the greatest uh, freestyle wrestlers of all time. But he also has, um, it's funny, he doesn't have many interviews. One of my goals is to go out and talk to him in Russian, do an interview with him, because he's exceptionally poetic and a deep thinker. He's uh, the kind of martial artist that you are in the way that it's not just about the the different battles you've been through or whatever. It's about the philosophy behind the way he approaches life. And he, he has spoken quite a bit about that the, the glamor, the fame, the money are all things that get in the way of um, the purity of the experience, the art, that the way to achieve greatness is to just lose yourself in the art of the actual combat in his case, it's wrestling. And then kind of not to worry and actively make sure that you block out anybody who, you know, feeds you the narrative where you're supposed to be this famous person and it's all those kinds of things that uh, he basically says, let others write your story. Uh, make sure that you just focus on the art. And uh, another person from that side of the world is, of course, Khabib. Uh, so he represents that side of the world. And we were talking about walking away and most people not being able to walk away at, at the top as you have, but also now Khabib has, it looks like, incredibly so. So, I mean, maybe you can comment about what your thoughts are about uh, Khabib Nurmagomedov being able to just walk away. You know, we talk about the GOAT very often. Khabib is, you know, one of, isn't the argument because he has the most dominant career of all martial art, the guy. You know, some guys can be named the GOAT for different reasons, but Khabib, for that reason, and he's undefeated. He, he, I don't even know if he lost a round. He might, he, might, he, he might have lost round, but he dominate all his opponents. It was ridiculous. And such a, an incredible career that he had. Um, I love to watch him fight. He's, he's incredible. Um, and when you talk about the art, when you say mixed martial art, the idea of a flawless performance for me, everybody often when we say flawless performance thinks about a, a knockout, a brutal knockout. But for me, it's, it's to be able to showcase beautiful technique like a beautiful takedown beautiful submission be like something beautiful that you know when you you look at for example uh wayne gretzky or michael jordan or, or like stephen curry or so, even if you don't know nothing about basketball and you watch michael jordan you'll be like wow that's beautiful what you just did like we talk about fighting and, and trying to say the the word beautiful in fighting for certain people, it could sound kind of crazy, you know, but, but, but I'm talking about the technique, a beautiful technique. You know, for me, that's the goal. You know, when I was fighting, it's not only to, to have a brutal knockout because some people are more gifted than others. And so I'm saying gifted. Some people are better than others in certain phase of fighting. But for me, it was that. It was to showcase to win, of course, but to showcase some beautiful technique that 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 you can watch the watch it and be like, wow, that was incredible. The, the timing he did it, that 
And when I talk about, when I think about Khabib Nurmagomedov, I see all the detail that that of his work, especially when he got he's got his opponent against defense. That's like that's his area of expertise where he's to me he's the best that ever did it in in terms of that fighting style that that particular expertise that he has it's just incredible. The, the the flawless execution of that particular yes. set of techniques yeah and, just... and, 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 and conor mcgregor had the the accuracy the spider anderson silva was like was i would say the most flamboyant of all you know like he was moving like the matrix john jones was incredible in terms of creativity spinning elbows and that and he faced incredible adversity Dimitrius Johnson was so complete you could you could bring like he was slamming a guy to an armbar it was just unbelievable like like he was like the complete fighter BJ Penn was like so flexible he, he, he did stuff with his body that like nobody could do his dick the dexterity of his hips was just unbelievable um, Dominic Cruz to me was incredible his footwork his distance control so when you talk about like the goat, Royce Gracie, another one, he did things that I think for me is not number one because- Yeah, I gotta, I gotta, and sorry to interrupt, the Royce is a fascinating one. I'd love to hear what you think about him, but many people consider you, most people consider you to be the number one greatest mixed martial arts fighter ever. So it's fascinating to remove you from that list. And, yeah. and continue this discussion and asking like, who do you think is the greatest fighter ever? You listed some amazing ones. Hoist, you somehow skipped Fedor. I just, I'm very, as a Russian, I'm very offended. No, I was, I was going to, there's so many. Fedor is one as well. Fedor, I think in his prime was like, when you say, when you talk about a name, for example, like we talk about him when he was in his prime. Like when I talk, for example, about Anderson Silva, I'm not talking about the Anderson Silva who fought, who fought uh, his last fight uh, against Uriah Hall. I'm talking about Anderson Silva who knocked out Victor Belfer. Yes. BJ Penn, same thing. The problem is when fighters hang on for too long in the sport. That's what happened. They, they kind of make, make people forget how good they were. And it's very sad. We talk about Fedor and just, just think about uh, Stipe Miocic. Miocic is probably the, the greatest uh, heavyweight of all time. With Fedor, I, I would really wonder who would have won this fight. The both guys in their prime. I tend to lean towards Fedor because my heart was with Fedor. Fedor, but he could have gone the other way. But just because Miocic lose his last fight, now everybody is like, oh yeah, they, they forgot about him. It's crazy, man. It's one fight. You zig when you should zag. Boom. It's that's the reality of mixed martial art. Well, that's why the thing is the mixed martial arts isn't just the performance, the strictly who won and who lost. It's also the stories we tell ourselves. And so, I mean, there's beautiful stories being weaved. And that also is part of uh, who is the greatest of all time is what, what were the battles? What, what, what had to be overcome? What was the, the flavor of the flawless performances, you know, all of that pl plays into it. And you're right, being able to walk away at the top is also part of that. The, a lot of people ask me about Khabib and that fight, I want it to happen. Khabib wanted to happen, but UFC did not want to happen. Between you and Khabib. Yes, 
and we tried to make it like about three, three years ago when I when I retired. Two, no, three. No, it was after two years ago, and it didn't never came to fruition. The UFC were clear; they said they they, they have other plan for Khabib, and it makes sense to for the business standpoint because they want to keep the ball rolling. Now Khabib retired, and like everybody else, after just Justin Gaethje, I was doing the commentator in French. <laughs> or the UFC, and I, I had butterfly. I thought he was going to call me out. And <laughs> if there's one guy that I would have said yes, it would be him. Because for a fighter, the most exciting thing things to do it's often the scariest one. And Khabib was worth, you know, worth He's the, the scariest matchup. For yes, but he, he, he was worth the risk because yeah. nobody have ever been able to solve them. How would you solve the Khabib Nurmagomedov puzzle? Well. <laughs> Khabib is very good against the fence. Uh, I would have to establish a, a game plan and everything, but I, I think uh, what I would need it to do is take the center of the octagon right away. Use a lot of feint and fate. Keep the fight all the way all the way out or all the way in. And when I say all the way in is when you close the gap, use my proactive and reactive takedown and my, perhaps my superior explosivity to, to put him down. I like to use those proactive and cre uh, and reactive technology because for me, I feel it's more economical. Khabib is a much better chain wrestler than me. Chain wrestler is when you get the guys to the fence, it's pure wrestling. What makes my takedown very efficient? It's my karate. It's not my wrestling. Hmm. It's I'm, a, I'm very good at timing my opponent and getting in with, with my explosivity. So if you watch at my takedown, it does not demand often, it does not demand a lot of work. When I use the, I call it proactive takedown. When um, he's coming to punch me and I react. So it, 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 I mean, proactive is, is when, when I, I'm faking it. So I, 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 I instigate the takedown by a fake, then I take, take mm -hmm. him down. And reactive is when he's, I'm baiting him to throw something, then, he, then I'm- It's I'm a counter, throwing. yeah, yeah. Yes. But all my takedowns- In the center of the octagon. Yes, my takedowns are more in the center of the octagon. Like, for example, another guy that does it well is Gleason Tebow that did it well in his best days, you know? Khabib has more a, a style of chain wrestling, I would say like Kamaru Usman, so, so to speak, kind, kind of guy. It's a different style. You cannot compare both styles. And that's the kind of takedown I'm good. And I would, if I would have fight Khabib, that's one of the strategies I would have adapted. I would not have been afraid because everybody that I fought, I was able to put them down. And 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 I have the pedigree to, to prove it in my fight resume. So you would have perhaps seen him yeah, on his back and I would have perhaps been on my back as well. So it would have been a very interesting fight. And, and How hard do you think he is to take down? I mean, a lot of people speak about his wrestling being just- It has nothing to do with the, take that, the wrestling because- It has to do with the karate. If I got the timing <laughs> I got, and I got my both hand around around his knees, he's going yeah. down the Everybody goes down, yeah. Yes, yes, he goes down. And, <laughs> and, and I had a lot of a, that's what I would have adopted. I would not have been afraid of his wrestling. Uh, I would have be the instigator. I would have forced the, the fight forward. And that's what that's how I would have approached that fight, which I believe most of his opponents were afraid of his wrestling because they didn't have the tools that I have to put him down. I would not have forced the wrestling. I would have in, in the clinch, I would have tried to disengage. I have many ways to disengage the clinch. 
I would have won to force the fight in in the in a in a fighting distance, you know, like in 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 a shoot box distance, not in a in a wrestling distance. Is it possible this fight still happens? I You're young, look great <laughs> in the <a> suit. <laughs> well, there's a lot of problems now. And the thing is, now I made peace with it. I no longer don't want to fight and I don't, it's not gonna happen. UFC was not interested and I'm bound by contract with the UFC and by exclusivity. There, there's some people says to me, oh, how about if Russians are a, a crazy, uh, <laughs> a wealthy Russian guy come with yeah, the money? Yeah. I, 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 I said, I have the, I'm gonna be uh, in, in court with UFC. And, and also I'm older now and when I go home, man, I'm like, I don't want to do this, you know? Like, but I you don't were like... always like this. <laughs> no, but I don't want to do this. But the, the, like, for example, I was training with Freddie Roach a few yeah. days ago and I'm hitting pads, you know? Yeah. Bah, 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 bah. And Freddie's looking at me and he's like, hey, you have the hitch back. I'm like, yeah. If Dana White <laughs> would walk in the room, in the in the gym at that precise moment with a, with a UFC contract, I would sign it, sign it in the blink of an eye. But when oh. then after I go home, I'm like, Hell no! I don't want to fight. I'm, I'm, my belly is full. My my, you know, I'm, I'm healthy. I'm wealthy. Why would I want to fight for? I made peace with it. But the minute I go back in the gym, because I still get it inside me when I train with the young guys, I still get it. And a lot of guys think, "Hey, tell me the truth. You you preparing a comeback?" Because I still get it. You know, I'm a little bit older, but I I got more knowledge. I can compensate. I I. I become a different animal because it, it, you know it changed you. But then after you go home and you, yeah. you you're you're like, man, uh, no way I'm doing this. <laughs> yeah. It's very hard to explain. You need to be Absolutely. a fighter to to understand that it's very very hard to explain. Well, from your perspective, I think Khabib is one of the rare, one of the few fascinating scientific puzzles yet to be solved. So from that aspect, as a martial artist. It's there, just a fascinating there, journey to try to solve that puzzle. There, there is a thing too, like we say, oh, who's the best fighter? People, Lex, they don't, like I understand, I realized that later in my life and I, I'm sure a lot of young guy will say, oh, Saint-Pierre, it's not, it, don't speak for me, but I'm telling you right now, what I'm about to say, you will realize it later. When I was young, I think you can proclaim yourself the the badass man on the planet, you know, like nobody can beat you at. It's an illusion, man. That's the sad thing about, for example, DC. Uh, Daniel Cormier is probably one of the greatest, if not the greatest of all time. You said Miocic, but like, it's almost because of that little matchup with John Jones, it's, it's difficult for people to conceive of him as the greatest of all time. It, it, it's all about matchup. It's all about timing. It, and also you make a fight you make, you make both guys fight 10 times. The result might be different. Like, like every time, you know, he might, he, I mean, maybe he's going to win eight out of 10, but that night he's going to, he's going to lose. Why? Because we don't know the the universe made it like that. You know, maybe he got sick. Maybe he had the emotional issues. He didn't sleep well and he, he makes him uh, lose focus and he got caught. Like, you don't, we don't know. But it's, it, it's uh, that's the thing with the, people ask me, would you have done it with Khabib? What would happen? I don't know. Maybe out of 10 times, I don't know. Maybe as a fighter, I hope I would have won more than him. He thinks the opposite. There's only one way to find out. But that night, if there is a fight, 
the guy that's gonna win doesn't mean he's the best fighter. That's mean the the he's the one that fought the best the night of the fight. Same thing in, in basketball or hockey. The team that wins the game, it's not necessarily the best team. It's the team that play the best the, the night of the game. And fighting is no different. So being the baddest man on the planet, it's an illusion. I mean, that's the tragic thing about it is uh, on any one night, anything can happen. And then that tells a story for all of human history. It's, it's, uh, it's, sad. it's sad to think about, but that's what makes it beautiful that there's so much at stake, like entire lives, all the dreams you've had growing up, all the hard work, all of it is decided in a single night, yeah. even though that means nothing in terms of who's actually better. It's, uh, I mean, that's the beauty. That's why people love the Olympics, especially because it happens so rarely and dreams are broken or uh, like triumph is achieved by the unlikely hero all like right there. I mean, that's that's why we love it, right? That's why, yeah, <laughs> that's why it, I love it. If we would know always the result before, it would be boring. That's why we do it, you know? Uh, you watch the odds, you know? Like, like sometimes it, it, I like to watch the odds uh, before a fight, you know? Because, you know, it, it, there's things, you know, I, I believe in causality, you know? I believe in everybody believe different things, but I believe everything is, is because there's a... There's a cause to everything. That's per personally what I believe. I don't believe that I, I have like free will. I think I have the illusion of free will, but I believe there is a cause for everything. And if I'm doing something because of something, because of a cause, by definition, there's no free will in a way. You know, If there's a cause, by definition, there is not. How does that make you feel, by the way? Like the idea that if we just look... Uh, outside of even just human psychology and fighting and so on, if we look at like physics, if everything is predetermined, if all of this, these little molecules interacting, it's all already like your story is already written. I mean, it depends. It's it's written, but I would need to know all the data, and it's impossible, right? Like it's 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 kind of weird. I gotta say, but I don't. To me, I don't see any argument to counter that idea. I I, I I I can I don't maybe I'm I'm ignorant but I haven't seen nobody and everything from that I've read so far there's nothing that counter that idea that, that that because in a mechanical world if your car broke or you know we don't say oh the car decided to broke or a, a three a, a trees fall there's reason why the trees fall we don't say the trees decide to fall right so because us human being, I think it's our ego, we decide, and I'm no different than anybody. When I make a decision, I decided to do this. I choose to do this. But I'm aware that there is causes that make me do certain things. And by definition, I think if there is a cause, there is no free will. By definition, right? Yes, but the thing is, just like you said, we understand so little about human intelligence, the human mind, and especially consciousness, that the this giant mystery, this darkness that we don't understand how how it how it feels like to be something, to be a conscious being, that because of that, we're not able to really even reason about free will or not. Because there might be some magic 
that comes from consciousness. The, you know, the, the consciousness might be the thing that makes us different from a car that breaks down. Mm. There might be something uh, totally fascinating, totally undiscovered yet that will make us realize that free will is actually real and is somehow fundamental to the human experience. So it's sometimes I think we forget when we talk about free will and physics and it all seeming to be predetermined, we forget how little we actually understand about the world. Mm. And I think in that mystery, there could be totally new ideas that are yet to be discovered and will make us realize that it's not just an illusion. It is something that is like at the core of how the universe works. Some people believe that consciousness is a fundamental property of the universe. Like it's a, it's a one of the forces of physics. Like consciousness permeates everything. It's in everything. Like this table is conscious, but it's not as conscious as us. And we're this little peak of consciousness. And if that's true, and if we get to understand that, maybe there's something, there's an extra bonus we get in terms of free will once you become one of those entities that are super conscious. So uh, I, I tend to be sort of humbled by the mystery of it. Do you believe one day with, with the technology that keep improving, we will make robot that will be able to be somehow conscious? Absolutely, I, that's been my dream. That's been, I hope, I hope to do just that. First of all, I believe that all people are capable and want to be good to each other. And I think love is a, is a really powerful thing that connects us and can create better and better worlds, sort of like uh, create better and better societies that uh, improve both the technology, the quality of life, and just the basics of human experience. And I think creating AI systems that are conscious, that are human-like, can enable us to be better to each other. Like they can, it's, it's almost like adding more and more kindness to the world through the systems we interact with will inspire us to be better and better to each other. In terms of them being conscious, I think that is a, an absolute requirement that entities we interact with communicate some element of consciousness to us. Like that's how we connect to each other. The reason we, you and I connect is that we believe that each of us are conscious. And to me, what consciousness means is the ability to hurt, ability to, to suffer, to, uh, to struggle in this world. Because just like you said, uh, with, with, without the struggle, you don't have the love, you don't have the pleasure. And ultimately consciousness is an entity's ability to struggle to suffer. And from that arises the pleasure. And us together being able to appreciate sort of uh, uh, appreciate the highs and experience together the lows, that's how we form the deep connections. I personally think we can create that in robots. And I, I personally believe it's a lot easier than, uh, than we think. Does it make you afraid sometimes about the fact that one day, hey, hi, like intelligence, artificial intelligence could be, you know, could hurt us or, or, you know, like, because we're 
you know, because of Hollywood, of course, you know, the movies we watch, but but it seems like when I hear sometimes Elon Musk talking, you know, like... Yeah, so Elon talks about uh, with AI, we're summoning the demon. He is very concerned, uh, and I talked to him about it uh, quite a bit. He's very concerned about all the different ways AI could hurt us humans. I tend to believe that there's a lot more ways in which AI can make our lives better and can make life awesome for humans. I think humans are the ones that can do a lot of evil things. So I'm less worried about AI, I'm more worried about humans. If I look at what humans have done on, on the course of history, you know, for, for example, in regards to the, the planet, to the, the scale of the universe, I think what I'm afraid is that we have more of a destructive force than a beneficial force. So if AI take that in consideration in order to protect us against ourselves, mm -hmm. it could hurt us. And I don't know if you, if you, if you understand what, like, what do you think about that? Does it makes you afraid sometime, not because of AI, but because of what humans are doing that AI could do to us to prevent us of hurting each or ourselves, you know? Yeah, no, I mean, definitely it can bring out the, the worst in human nature and uh, provide tools for evil people to do evil things at a larger scale. But I just think it depends wh what you think human beings are. I tend to believe that as we get more intelligent, we, uh, we start to see the value the evolutionary value and the value in terms of happiness of being good to each other. And I think AI, if, if you look at AI as an optimization problem of how to create a civilization that works well and expands throughout the universe, I think love is much uh, more effective. So AI will help us maximize that. I think there's going to be always spikes throughout as it has been through human history where charismatic leaders will do evil onto the world in the name of good. You have the Stalin and the Hitlers and all of that. But ultimately, over time, I think technology will give the good, uh, the good people power and the evil people uh, less power. Mm. Now, there's a lot of ways in that, in the, that that won't be the case. There's a lot of ways for it to go wrong and Elon talks about them, but I, I honestly think in terms of intelligent AI, that's going to bring more love to the world. The thing I'm concerned about is dumb AI. So there's been a lot of discussion between China and the United States recently on autonomous weapons system. This is something people don't, they're afraid to talk about, but there's now a race uh, where the United States has officially said that they're not against adding AI to its weapon systems. So now the US military is adding automation, adding intelligence to its drones, to its uh, anything that can create damage. And so of course, and they did this so in response to China doing that. So you can imagine this is, this is Terminator. You think about Terminator's intelligence systems, they're not, they're pretty dumb. The, the point is they're efficient at doing what they do. And uh, in the space of war, efficient at doing what you do means killing. 
So that I'm really afraid of, but those are dumb AI. Those aren't your uh, loving, deep, fulfilling relationships. That's like uh, efficiently being able to fly, to plan the trajectory of dropping bombs, of missiles, of how to do counterattacks, of how to maximize the destruction of a particular facility instead of individuals. Uh And then that can just escalate. And uh, as, as opposed to the Cold War with the with the Soviet Union, this could be a hot war. And then the consequences, once you allow, it's kind of terrifying. Yeah. Because currently the drones are operated by humans. So, you know, you have, say, you have information about, uh, intelligence gives you information about a particular terrorist located in this area. And then you use drones to maybe... Uh, the automation there is to help you figure out what is the best trajectory to strike at that location. So you still have a human that pulls the trigger at the end, mm-hmm. dropping the bomb. Now, automation and AI in autonomous weapons systems might be where you say, there's a bad guy over here, you figure out how to get rid of the bad guy, okay? So then, of course, the systems will be very good at finding the right trajectory and so on but there's bugs that can happen, unexpected bugs, that the system might figure out that there is, this bad guy might actually be in these other five locations. So Mike's might make sense to cover the entire area, right? And so you might drop bombs on the entire area. And then, you know, that's just, okay, so that's going to lead to a lot of destruction at the scale of a city. But then you can immediately take that to nuclear weapons. If you add automation to uh, responding to counterattacks to nuclear weapons, somebody, you might get information that somebody's planning a nuclear attack on the United States and the AI system will immediately respond. And, you know, it can respond at a scale of launching nuclear weapons itself. And so there's all of these possibilities that don't require much intelligence. And uh, th- that's exceptionally that's exceptionally concerning. I, I'm like you, I, I do not believe there is babies that are born bad. I think people do bad things because of their experience. However, if if I look through my experience and from what I can see is some very often men of power wants more power. That's what makes me afraid with. Yeah, no, absolutely. I listen, I've been, I've come from the Soviet Union Uh, Stalin is arguably one of the most powerful humans in history. Uh, He's not talked often enough about by the evils he's done. Hitler gets all the attention, but Stalin has done arguably much more evil than uh, than Hitler. Yeah, well, this is this is human nature. It wants power. We see that with institutions. We see that with governments and nations. I think you you see this with the internet. People are really hungry for the distribution of power. Like you see that people are very much distrustful of centralized places of power, of institutions and so on. So I think successful organizations, successful companies, successful governments will be run by people who distribute the power. Mm. Like I don't trust myself with power at all. And I think you have to build into the system that no one person can have power, uh, that you distribute it. That's where you have 
in the financial sector of cryptocurrency right now with Bitcoin and all those kinds of things. Uh -huh. People are exploring, how can we avoid the central bank to have the control? How do you put the power in the hands of people, uh, thousands of people, millions of people? And in the same way with, uh, with military, with um, any kind of, uh, with technology, I think the future looks very distributed. So, what, what do you think about militarizing space? <laughs> the uh, Space Force, I, I, I don't think about it often because right now I'm filled with excitement about space exploration, which is the positive aspect. So Elon, you know, I was, I was born in an era where it was exciting. I don't know about you, but for me, it's exciting to look up to the stars and dream about us humans, you know, uh, colonizing Mars, colonizing other planets, expanding out to the galaxy, into the universe. That's really exciting. Uh, so I'm, I'm the, the, the possibilities there are endless. I don't think, because the, also the resources are endless. And so I think we get into trouble with militarization, with wars, when the resources are very constrained. So I think for a while, Yeah. We're not going to be fighting. The The only wars we'll be fighting in space are the ones that kind of uh, help guess us. Another, another nation to compete. Yes. Who, who goes to the moon first, I guess. That's those, those, the kind, those kinds of things, or maybe for satellites and all those kinds of communication and uh, maybe in assistance for like cyber warfare, which is also very dangerous. But in terms of space, uh, the wars out in space, I think, I think uh, everything out in space will be the positive and inspiring. It's very hard, but uh, all good things are hard, I think. Th this is where I've been, I've been talking to a bunch of people about um, extraterrestrial life. I'm really excited by, I don't know, it's the other thing. Um, when I look out to the stars, it's exciting to me. I know I think you've spoken about it being scary, mm -hmm. <laughs> but to me, it's exciting that there's intelligent creatures out there far beyond perhaps the intelligence of our own that uh, are just too far away to explore yet, but we might one day come in contact with them. So uh, that that to me is the ultimate motivator is to meet other intelligence life forms out there and connect with them. Have you ever met uh, Jacques Vallée? Uh, no, but I've been in communication. I want to ho I hope to talk to him. He's an amazing- He's French, yeah. I, um, <laughs> I know that there's ma many him? theories about- yes. You know, if there's alien, we don't know, right? But, but some people think it's from another star systems. And Jacques Vallée has a, like, to make a long story short, he has a different theory. He thinks it's perhaps beings that could be living in a different dimension than, than us. And the reason why he says that is when he makes an experiment, when there is a sightings very often of a UFO, let's say I'm, I'm the UFO, that you have three guys what they they are looking at the ufo very often <laughs> one experiment that you can do and sometimes that that is the case you ask your two friends to walk on the side and there's a, a a point that it's like a corridor you see the ufo and then you stop seeing it like mm -hmm. a corridor and that's one of the reason why he's saying that it's perhaps a dimension and i found that fascinating you know it's i This is what, you know, to the discussion of consciousness and all that, it, it, it feels like we might be just experiencing a very particular slice of this universe 
we might not be understanding what's at the higher dimensions or, yeah, I mean, higher dimensions in whatever form that means. You know, there's all these physical theories now that describe a, a world with dimensions that's much higher than the four dimensions of, the three dimension of space and the one dimension of time. So whatever the hell is going on in those other dimensions, it could be something, unfortunately, this is the sad part. It might be something we can't even comprehend with our human brains. That the limitations are just, um, I mean, we're built, we're just descendants of apes. So like, it might not be possible to even understand. Is there alien? Is there another dimension? Are they a human from the future? Is there perhaps Chinese or another, uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? A group of people that are working with a technology far behind. But you know what, Lex, I, I had a chance to meet, uh, you know, because of the sport I'm doing, I met a lot of people in military and politics sometimes that I, I ask them every time. <laughs> I met I met one this week and, and yeah. um, I, I I asked him, I say, hey, is it true about the, the UFO is there? Is there? And he says to me, he's like, before, even before I ask him, I say, hey, I, sorry, I have to ask you a question. I was in Los Angeles. <laughs> And uh, I said, sorry, I have to ask you a question. He said, oh, you want to ask me about UFO? Right away, you knew. And I said, yes. He, he said, saw it in your eyes. He said, yeah, there is things that flies that we don't know. But yeah. he, does, he didn't tell me, he doesn't know, they don't know if it's alien or whatever, but there's things apparently that are detected. And I know you met uh, Fravor, yeah. you know, like. Fravor is fascinating. It's I mean, it makes crazy. Me, it makes me sad that. We live in a different era now that that it's it used to be a, a subject that was ridiculed and now it, it's so cool that it's you know I'm very excited to live in to that that era you know yeah it's really exciting but still the governments are kind of behind the times on that aspect is they're not transparent and they don't communicate well you know it saddens me to think the possibility that that you know like the U.S. government might be in possession of something that they don't tell the world about because they're just scared. It's because they don't know what the hell it is and they don't want the Chinese to gain the technology or all those kinds of things. Do you think the president of the United States, for example, because the president comes and go every, right, four or eight years, do you think he would know all the secret or it would be a guy like, for example, Vladimir Putin would know mo much of a, you know what I mean? I don't think the president even know, like even can knows all all the the secrets. The U.S. Right? president, yeah. I don't think so I don't because think so he, he goes, they go back and forth. You know, every four years, you know, they have the terms, right? So I, you know, I I wasn't sure before, but I think I could trust the previous United States president of Donald Trump that if he knew. <laughs> he will probably tweet about it. So perhaps. I, <laughs> so I, yeah, I, I think it, it, from from the con, you know, I've worked with DARPA, I work with uh, DOD at a clearance, and I think from the perspective, if you if you see the world as fundamentally a dangerous world, where secrets are important to have from a military perspective, I think it's very unsafe to tell the president of the United States. Yeah. that you have this kind of technology. So if you think of the world in that way, I, I hate that that's how that world is viewed because ultimately I think what's more powerful than the military secrets, and I hope that actually is what will happen in the 21st century, is what's more powerful is inspire people, inspire the the young Elon Musks of the world to, to create cool new things. If we have technology that we've 
uh, have come, have encountered that we don't understand, that should only be inspiration to, to uh, develop that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. It shouldn't be seen as military, uh, as a military threat, as a secret to hold on to. I think secrets, uh, I hope we more and more let go of the idea that there are secrets that give us advantage. You know, like in the tech sector, people are more and more releasing the software. They're making it open source. Like secrets don't make sense. Uh, they share the knowledge, right? Share, share the knowledge. Like, share, like being afraid to share the knowledge, I think, I hope is an old idea. It's more, yeah, when you make it, things more compartmentalized, you know? Yes. Well, yeah, well, that's the other thing is the bureaucracy of government is like people only know their own little thing and they don't spread the information. It doesn't travel well. I mean, there's a lot of just inefficiencies there. It makes me sad. It makes me sad because the science, the engineering that happens in governments like Lockheed Martin developing the different airplanes that they're used for military applications. That's some of the most incredible engineering ever. And it's secret because they're afraid to share it wow. with the Russians and the Chinese and so on. But on that topic, I do think somebody like Vladimir Putin would know <laughs> probably knows some stuff. <laughs> my God, my God. I would I would love to know what he knows. But then again, you, you never know because even he is, you know, people think of him as an exceptionally powerful person but he's also just managing a bunch of tribes. Hmm. His power is very limited. He's trying to hold together uh, a bunch of greedy, power-hungry madmen. That's right. Okay, and he's trying to establish a balance. He might not know everything. So I, I hope this changes because I think there's nothing more exciting about... I don't even know if there is a human that knows. You know what I mean? Like this idea that There's some uh, civilization, alien civilization that that land on the White House and say, "Hi, I come to meet the president." And like, why would they do that? You know what I mean? It's kind of absurd, you know. Well, I I do think that actually, I mean, that's one possibility, right? Is Lart, you know, if an alien civilization really wanted to contact us, I think everybody would know. So I think what we're, if if there's any kind of interaction between humans and aliens, I think most likely what we're interacting with is a crappy like probe drone thing that kind of just like, like it's like this dumb, dumb thing, you know, we're not interacting with the aliens. I think just like, just like for us, I think humans aren't, when we uh, venture out into space, the first thing that's going to meet aliens is our robots. It's not us humans, because we keep sending robots out. So they're going to like, they're going to make decisions about humans by looking at the robots. <laughs> so, the, the famous grays. The grays. <laughs> maybe they are robots, maybe it's all BS too, you know? Yeah, yeah. So I, I don't know, I don't know what uh, that interaction actually would look like if aliens really wanted to reach out, really communicate. And I don't know if we're able to actually communicate with them. That's one of the sad things. We might not be able to, we might, the aliens might already be here and we might just not even know, know how to see them or know how to communicate with them. There's so much misinformation and sometimes there is peoples that are very credible that, that, uh, that made crazy claims 
you know like, like you don't know what to believe you know like like Paul Elyer the 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 minister of defense of Canada said like some that there is many alien rays that ever that, that's what he says <laughs> research it and yeah. and the, that that scientist uh, from uh, I think Israel recently have said something yeah. about Trump. He's, he was keeping secret or Medvedev. You're from Russia. Medvedev yeah. have been cut in a, like in, during a break in between interviews to talks about like oh it's like Men in Black sort of speak. I don't know. He didn't look like he was joking, but I don't know if he oh, was I didn't saying know the about truth. This. Yeah, you can check on YouTube. It's a, it's 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 it went it went viral. Yeah, there's a lot of things like that. Sometimes I'm like. Or or Bob Lazar, I'm like, imagine if it's true, man. Yeah. Imagine if we're, if we're like a fish in the water, we live in our own world, and sometimes there's a, a fisherman that grabbed the fish, yeah. take him out <laughs> of the water and, and threw it back in the water, and the fish goes back to the other fish and say, hey, <laughs> there's someone that, that take me out of the water, then I've seen uh, things that I did not like. Imagine if it's true, like we, like. Uh, yeah. And, and uh, one other thing, like, I wanted to ask you because you, you were consciousness. Good, how about dreams? What is a dream? Yeah. Well, I, I, I more and more, I don't know if you're paying attention to this. There's now, it's become more acceptable in the scientific community to do large scale studies of psychedelics, for example. And there's a lot of connection between psychedelics and dreams. It's very similar states. There's, there's a lot our mind does when it detaches itself from reality that it can just explore a lot of different ideas. It's very possible that dreams is you're traveling somewhere. And the same thing with psychedelics, you're traveling somewhere. In a different, not traveling through physical space, it's the other dimensions that we we're talking about. You're traveling some other, through some other dimension to meet some other creature. People talk with DMT that they meet some elves. I've never done, I, I'd like to. I don't know if there's a safe, legal way to do it, but uh, they all talk about meeting elves <laughs> and like creatures, like entities, and like who are, who are they? <laughs> What's <laughs> what is this? <laughs> is, it, is it because they're high, or it's because it really yeah, they're actually meeting something? And maybe there's no difference. I mean, that uh, who knows exactly? And that takes us right back to us not being able to really understand how our mind works. You know, I work in artificial intelligence. It's clear that we understand so little about intelligence. Some basic things about intelligence, mm -hmm. just at the at the very sort of basic. Uh, first principles level. We don't understand what it means to to reason, to think, to uh, assimilate pieces of knowledge together from the, from the basics to the complex. We don't understand it. We don't understand how the human mind does it. We don't understand how the human mind is able to take incredible waterfall of information and filter cleanly into just like clean. You only see the things that are important and are able to stitch them together and be able to reason about the world. And at the same time, have moments of like genius, of creativity. Like what? what is that? That also, you know, people, writers talk about that, that they're, you know, they're almost like communicating with a muse. Like where do ideas come from? Yeah. This yeah. is the Joe Rogan philosophy. But but I, I do know that past civilization were, a lot of them were ba based on shamanism. Mm -hmm. And you know what it, I think it's sad is if someone drink alcohol and when he's drunk he's going to commit like create like like murders or something. we're gonna blame the person right yeah. we're gonna say that's his fault it's not the, the fault of alcohol however if someone does psychedelic or any things that is illegal and he do something crazy now we're gonna 
put the fault on on psychedelic you know what i mean and perhaps the person itself is the the reason why you know he's been doing these things you know what i mean so yeah it's fascinating how like society you know like in canada they just uh, legalize marijuana they, oh like, yeah yeah Mar marijuana is legal but before that before they did it like if you talk for example to my dad my dad is against it like because the whole mentality is like it's drug it's bad and but drinking a glass uh, you know drinking a beer it's fine yeah. I, I mean what is you know what i mean what is good what is bad and, and i i guess you think chocolate could be bad as well for your health or like i mean i'm, I'm going to the extreme now but yeah what is good what is bad if you use it for recreation you use it for an experience for to learn about yourself it's like it's uh, the, the line is very uh, tiny you know there's some countries that drugs are all legals you know what i mean and, and I, I i don't know the, the the stats but i would i would be interesting to know if they have more crimes there than other countries where it's more strict I, I would i would be interesting to know about that it's fascinate me you know yeah and i mean we humans kind of just come up with the uh, arbitrary lines of what's good what's bad that applies with drugs that applies with anything uh that applies with animals for example we talked about carnivore diet maybe the time we live in now will be remembered for the cruelty to animals for example and i believe this the 21st century will be remembered for our cruelty to robots that uh, eventually <laughs> there'll be a civil rights movement for robots where the the, the ones who uh, choose to be conscious the ones who have consciousness will say we deserve rights too we deserve to be treated with respect too how, how about the people we put in jail people who put in jail maybe in the f i think in the future we'll look back and we'll think of ourselves being stupid to, you know, to put people in jail instead of, you know, like trying to fix the problem in, 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 in at the base, you know? Of course now we're, or I guess it's our ignorance that made it in a way that we cannot sort sometimes understand what makes uh, sometimes a psychopath a psychopath or a murderer a murderer, but you know, if we can pinpoint the problem and take care of it before, you know what I mean? Or made it in a way that we can re-establish re that person in, in the society, you know? Who knows, you know, what was the future's old? It's interesting. We live in an interesting time. You mentioned your father. What have you learned from your dad? You mentioned he was an important part Man, of your childhood. My dad is amazing. I grew up, at, we didn't have a lot of money, but it doesn't mean if I'm born in a nice country that always nice thing happen, mm -hmm. you know? Um, my dad, for me, is, is a big role model because I see him through, through my life facing a lot of adversity. You know, he, he, um, he stopped drinking when I was a teenager. He was an alcoholic. And I've seen him struggle through that, you know, and it was very, very hard. And um, I've seen him work like crazy hours, like come leave in the morning come home at night burned out because of work through almost all his life to the point that it became a slave of the system yes it became an habit and a normal way of living and it made me realize that i've learned a lot through my father he taught me perseverance hard work 
you know, when you face adversity, you know, to never give up until you achieve it. But also it, it, it taught me a, a, a lesson that in a way that I don't want to be like him, even if he is happy, it's because I realize I don't think he knows anything else. Like he works through all his life and I don't want to live to work. I want to work for, for, you know what I mean? I want to decide when I work, you know, I feel like, like he, 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 he lived to work instead of working for a living. And perhaps it's because he did not have choice. He, he was the older of his family. They had, they were nine kids. His dad, my grandfather died when he was young. So he had to become the father of the family and, and work to put money on the table. So perhaps that what made him that way. And it became like, like an habit for him. My dad taught me uh, when I was at school, I, I was bullied at school. He's the first one who initiated me to a martial art. He taught me karate. My dad, my dad was a black belt in Kyokushin karate as well. Very nice. But because he was working too much, he didn't have time to teach me. And I needed self-defense in order to defend myself. I have a winning, a great career in mixed martial art, but in the, in the schoolyard. Uh, <laughs> That's a good my, 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 mixed record. <laughs> my, 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 my record is not very good. <laughs> <laughs> when you're a kid and you're about seven, eight years old and you're facing bullied bullies that are two to three years older than, than yourself. It's not the same thing than when you're 25 and the guy is 28. So there is a big discrepancy in terms of uh, maturity. So my dad taught me, introduced me to karate. Then he, I didn't, he didn't have time to teach me. Then he put me in a school with an, a teacher that said, it was Jean Couture. And I grew up with a lot of anger. And uh, there were two person I was afraid growing up it was my dad. <laughs> my dad was very severe, very strict with me. And I'm glad he was because I, I, I could have become very bad. I could have become chosen on a different path. People see me as a nice guy and, I, and I'm an, I am a nice guy. I try to be a good role model but I could easily have turned towards a, a there, wrong there, There's darkness somewhere in there. Yes, there are a lot. And a lot of my friends have chosen that, that path. And unfortunately, yeah. you know, they, 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 are, they, they, are, uh, they are not with me today. Even if I'm from Canada and Canada seems like the nicest country in the world. Like I said, it's, even if you live in a nice country, not always nice thing. It depends on the situation. But that's what my dad taught me, you know, and he gave me that to, to because I, I, I'm very good at learning by observing people and by observing him, I, I see the, the struggle he had with alcoholism and, and what he did, the, the, the pain sometimes that he inflicted to, to us, to my family, but how he turned, he did that 180 degree and I really admire that. And I know it was uh, very, very hard for him and he did it, you know, and uh, for me, uh, that's a great uh, role model for me. So with your dad being an engine of basically hard work and you finding a balance of being able to work your ass off, but also to be able to enjoy a piece of chocolate, what does a perfect day in the life of George St. Pierre look like? So like, 
if you were to go through a day that's very productive, but also one that makes you sit back and enjoy and say, that was a good day. Well, what's that look like? What are we talking about? When do you wake up? What do you eat? What do you do? It changed over the years. When I was younger, I have a, a good day. It was like a good training session or, or you know, achieving good thing in my training, you know, and, and that's why I was very good at it because when I, I was obsessed, you know, I think to be good at something, you need to become obsessed. And to me, perform, performing in my training was everything, you know, like when I had a bad training session, I didn't tell my training partner, I, I was acting like a, like because of the, my ego, I didn't, you know, I didn't tell nobody. I was like, hey, hey, hey. then I go in the locker room, I'm like, man, then, then I'm playing the, 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 the the training in my mind, you know, I'm saying, okay, I should have done this, should have done, and it hunt me, it hunt me, man, it's a training, and it hunt me until the next training session on when I can redeem myself. That's how it is. When we used to train in, in all together back in the day in Canada, we had David Loiseau, we had Patrick Cote, we had uh, Dennis Kang. Uh, Steve Vigneault, uh, Jonathan Goulet. There, there was all like the, the best guy in Canada that were training with each other. Before, we, we were training in different gyms, but once a week, I made it in a way that I contact everybody that we all joined force and we exchange ideas and we train with each other. So a, a friendly, I would say friendly competition. It was not malicious, but it was hard training, you know, like not, our goal is was to improve, you know, but it wasn't very competitive. And when that day you used to get out of the training session with a bad performance, for me, he used to hunt me until the following week when I could give it back and, and perform better with the guy that I had the most trouble with. That's how it was. And that's how you get better, you know? But but it was not a, a training where it, it, it was, we were trying to do malicious things to one another. You know what I mean? It need to be playful, but playful, but competitive. That when I had a good training session, because the sparring was on a Friday, I had the best weekend in the world. I was going out with my friend, drinking and partying and having fun. That, that, was, that was my, 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 uh, my ideal day back in the day. Today has changed. You know, my, 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 my life has changed. You know, like, um, I... I am not the same person I used to be when I go, went on my knees and begged the UFC for a title shot. You know what I mean? I, I am, uh, I'm wealthy. I'm healthy. Most importantly, that's the most important thing. And as, man, I'm gonna tell you the truth. As good as my career was, man, my private life, man, is a million time better, man. I, I, and and people ask me sometimes. They always wonder. They they try. To ask me, and it's normal. It's a lot of people is curious, and the the reporter, and in the sport of mixed martial art, we say we play basketball, we play soccer, but you don't play fighting. So when you expose your private life, we've seen that happen in the fight with sometimes Conor McGregor and Khabib. Your competitor knows that he cannot get to you, so what he will do, he will try to get to someone that you love. So me, I never expose my, my private life. I never post Instagram of my family, of my stuff. That's the reason why. Because I'm in a, and I'm, I'm in a business of fighting. 
and people know that they cannot get to me. And I believe because I was bullied when I was young, I didn't realize that when I was young, but it helps me deal with the mental warfare that I, need, that I had to face later on in my life in mixed martial art because it's a very egotistic sport and there's a lot of, a lot of, a lot of intimidation. And I was used to, I've been used to this thing when I was young, so it does not get to me. However, the good way to get to me Go, 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 go try to get to someone I, I, I love. Now, man, I'm going to go crazy. You know what I mean? And I'm aware of that. So in order to protect myself, I always, because I'm aware I'm, I'm a public person. So I try to always keep my surrounding like in the private. Yeah. One of the ways that uh, like uh, your, your friend of mine, Joe Rogan, has been an inspiration that he he's got like an incredible family and he for the most part it started to change recently actually it's kind of interesting but for the most part throughout his life he kept it pretty secret mm -hmm. doesn't talk about it in his comedy he's a comedian comedians talk about everything he doesn't really talk about it and uh, there's something to that it like preserves the magic of this the silence of the private life and i think it can affect the the development of the kid if the kid grow up being Oh, he's the son of that guy instead of being his own person. You know what I mean? So so for me, it's very important. Like, my parents are older, it's fine. But it taught me a big lesson. When I'm with my friend at a dinner or anything, I talk with personal, we share a thing. But when I'm talking, I, I'm aware of, of the audience who I'm in front. Yeah, and I mean, but oftentimes those people are just incredible. It kind of makes me sad that... Uh... You know, there's a lot of people that love you, right? And there are a lot of really incredible people and you'll never get to really know their story. That's true. I mean, I don't know. For me, it makes me sad. You see them like at airports and stuff. People will tell me they listen to this podcast or something like that. And they're, I can tell they're incredible people. And it makes me, it's like a little goodbye of a, of a possible friend. I don't know. It, may, it makes me sad. It, All right. it, it's, it makes me, it's lonely. It's almost like celebrity is a lonely thing. So the higher the celebrity, the more lonely you become uh, in some kind of way. But of course you have that little gem of a private life where you can. Personally, I believe every relationship I, I like, I don't like to use this term, but it's always a give and take relationship, you know? Like you can gain something and the person, like, it, it, it could be something like not materialist, materialistic, like something always a good, confident, like you, someone that they can give me good advice or, or it's a word I would say like extensional. Like if a pilot as a co-pilot is, the co-pilot is extend, as a extensional relationship with him, you know, so he knows if he gets sick or he faint, he's there to make sure, you know, he, he's there to help. And I think in every relation, it's about compatibility, but it's about extensionality, right? In a way that if that person is extensional, and sometimes we talk about about love, you know, like sometimes I, I think, is, is, it, is it a BS word or not? Because I myself sometimes look at, I look at myself in the mirror and when I do stupid thing, sometimes I love myself a lot and sometimes I don't, you know what I mean? Because I'm angry at myself, I've done stupid thing. So that means sometimes you could love could be fluctuating. You know what I mean? 
How about in relationships? Sometimes you, you, people, they say, oh, they love each other. But then when they divorce, they go, oh, I want the house and the dog and the kids stay with me. And the, you know what I mean? If you love, if, if, by definition, if you really love someone, and let's say you're an old man and you love a woman and she decides to leave you for a younger man, if you really love her, you're going to help her pack and leave. But in our society, sometimes we, we, we want to hone something. To me, love includes the missing somebody, the losing somebody, the anger at somebody. It's all the passion, feelings towards somebody. That's all love. Like I, you know, it's all part of the thing. It's the ups and downs. It's uh, the sad thing is when the feelings towards a person, the ups and downs go away, the forgetting. Yeah. That's, that's the opposite of love. So the opposite of love isn't hate. The, to me, the opposite of love is forgetting. And, and that's, that's a much bigger, that's like a, the depth of human connection. That's how I see love. So sometimes I try to stay positive and, and I've been asked how I try to, because I have the image of someone who's positive, but I go through my own demon as well sometimes. However, we talk about love. When I was young, you know, like, like I didn't love who I was at first. That's how I love. I learned to kind of love myself. Like I didn't. I didn't. When I was going through through bullying, I was. I believe I was bullied because I didn't love myself. I, I, I because I project a very bad image of what I think of myself. I was a kid that lacked a lot of confidence. I was looking down when I was walking. I shrugged my shoulder. When someone was talking to me, I was avoiding eye contact. So I was a very easy target for bullies. And I think bullies are like a predatory animal in, in nature. They will hunt the, the easier prey. They, would don't, they don't go, the lion don't go for the, the alpha bull. They go for the one who's old or who's sick, the weakest one. And bullies are the same in society, I believe. And I didn't like to be bullied, of course, but I didn't like the, the person that I was. But I found out through martial art, the respect. And my, my coach was extraordinary to me. He taught me discipline and self-strength. Self and I found out that I needed to, in order to love myself, I needed to change myself. Because I didn't, when I looked at myself in the mirror, I didn't like what I saw. So I decided to become like someone that I would love. So I try to look people straight up and, and trying to showcase a more confident image that I had. And it was hard in the beginning because I didn't really believe in it, but I, I fake it until kind of I make it. So when I was walking at school, more and more I, I was learning how to become more confident and I was like taking charge. When the, the teacher was asking questions, I was at first I was never answering. I was like this, waiting always to be the last. Then I was, hey, I, I, I know what the answer. This is the answer. I got out of my um, comfort zone, so to speak. And I wish I would tell you that I got out of bullying because a Hollywood story, I, I used martial art to beat up all the bullies. But it's not how it happened to me. It happened because I changed myself from the inside out. And I learned how to, because I didn't love myself in the beginning, I learned how to become 
like someone that I have loved. And even now, like I'm by no means perfect. I do a lot of stupid things. But I learn as a person. And even I do something stupid, I'm like, shoot, I did something stupid. I, I At least I can apologize to the person if I realize. And then I know that I'm not the person I was in the past. I'm the person that I am right now. So I can learn and become that image of the person that I love. So in, in a way, the reason why I'm trying to be positive and I, and I am able to stay positive sometime in life is because I'm always trying to be like that person that I love. Yeah. And I think if you don't look yourself in the mirror and don't love yourself or don't see any positive future for yourself, how can you change your environment if you cannot change yourself? You know what I mean? You will never be happy if you're not happy when you look at yourself in the mirror. So change yourself first, then change your, you know, it's not the environment that's going to change for yourself. It, it's, you have to go from the inside out, you know? This, this I learned through martial art. I had a, had a coach who was incredible. He used to drill the, these ideas in my head and, and give me confidence, you know, like, like this, telling me all these, these beautiful things about myself and how I, He's dead now, unfortunately, peace, peace to him, but uh, he was incredible, incredible. He was very, very strict. I was afraid of him. I was afraid of my dad and afraid of him. He couldn't teach nowadays like he used to teach me because he would be in, probably in jail, you know? <laughs> but I'm glad he did it because for the time being, that's what I needed. And I would never have had that, that career I had in mixed martial art without this. Because I would, I would never have got out of my comfort zone. It would have been impossible. And in order to improve in life, you need to get out of your comfort zone. It's hard. It's very hard to do. And, and strive to be the person that you can love. I, I, that's, that's, that's beautifully put, George. If you were to give advice to a young person today about life, what would you tell them? If he takes life with the same uh, mentality that I do, if he has the same taste of things that I have, I would tell him, you know, for 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 sport, for, for life in general, I, I would say, if you will have a dream, you know, like, like, make everything in your power and work very hard, you know, never take no for an answer and go through hell in order to achieve it. Don't work hard only, but work smart. That's, I, I think, the problems with a lot of uh, people. They work hard, they can work hard, they burn themselves, they don't work smart. Whether it is in, in science and business, they make bad, bad cho choices or they're badly informed in sport. How many guys I've seen ruin their career in the gyms? They, they spar so hard, they, they, they ruin their, themselves in the gyms. They leave their career in the gyms. What I would say to, for example, because my field of expertise in, it's in sport of mixed martial art, I would say to a young, young uh, kid, Make your training playful. You know, when you get ready for for competition, you need to try to recreate those elements that makes you go outside of your comfort zone. 
but in everyday's life in general, make your training playful. Don't make it like a hardcore competition about who's who's winning, who's losing. Make make it playful. So it will increase your because you you will not be afraid of getting hurt or losing. You will be tempted to trying more things and be you it will make you become more create creative. You know, th that uh, brings up another question about learning. So you you value knowledge and you're exceptional at at basically being very good at learning and figuring stuff out, new things or going deeper on the things you already know. So what advice would you have for how to learn effectively? How, you know, you say work smart. How do you figure this game out? I believe the best way to learn is learning from other people's mistake. <laughs> <laughs> However, I'm not perfect and I've learned from my mistakes as well. And sometimes I've, I, it, took, it took me a few mistakes to learn the same thing. Yeah. But it, especially in the sport of mixed martial art, because we're talking about the, the, the failure could have very serious uh, outcome on someone's life and well-being so it's crucial to trying to learn from other people's mistakes do you study others do yes. you every every fight i've studied my opponent and i've studied myself as well to know what how my strength mix versus my opponent weaknesses and how can i make the fight go in a way that I'm taking my opponent outside of his comfort zone. Very often, people are good at studying their opponent, but they're not good at looking at themselves <laughs> in the mirror and knowing what they should do in order to, to maximize their, their, uh, their odds of success, right? That's why I always thought, for me, it was important to not be the best at one thing, but be very good at everything. That's why I always seek advice, advices from the best in every discipline. Like I, I wrestle with the best wrestler I, I, I could be with. I box with the best boxers. I, I practice karate with the best karate fighters. Uh, same thing in jiu-jitsu. I train jiu-jitsu with the best, best jiu-jitsu guys. Um, however, when I mix everything and mix martial art, if I if I'm because I'm very competent in every area, so when I'm fighting someone, I'm very good at identifying where is the less competent, and I know for a fact that because I'm competent everywhere, I can if I can bring the fight where he's outside of his comfort zone, it increases my odds of winning. There is no certainty; it's all about odds, I believe, because there there is always an X factor that you do not control. Yeah, it's fascinating to see you actually, because you've been a student of movement. Uh, you've been exploring all kinds. Of, I mean, gymnastics, all that kind of stuff. There, there's something reminiscent to, um, like uh, Conor McGregor is one other martial artist that's kind of explored movement, been a scholar of movement. Um, at least from my perspective, it's very sort of Bruce Lee like. It's, it's almost making a study of the human body and all the possible things you can do. Is there a philosophy behind that that you have? 
you talk about Bruce Lee, man. You, you said <laughs> it best. It, it, it changes my my life too. He was ahead of his time. Yeah, um, incredible. A lot of people talk to me and they ask me, "Hey, is Brucey would have been able to fight in UFC?" I <laughs> look, I don't think so. You know, I don't know. Yeah. He, I think he was a you know he was a martial artist. He could have defended himself, but to say that he could have competed in, amongst the elite of the elite fighter, perhaps in his time, but if for sure, if you put him in UFC right now, you know the sport has improved incredibly since then. But in terms of philosophy, yeah, Bruce, he was amazing. Like one thing that he, just to prove that he was ahead of his time, he was talking about using your longest weapon against your opponent nearest point. And we see that 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 kick that um, it, it 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 got popular popularized by John Jones. You know the mm-hmm. the, the yeah. sidekick to the tie, his longest weapon against your nearest point. In boxing is the jab, but in MMA, when you can use all your weapon, that's the kick to the tie. Um, and uh, there is, I felt there is like kind of three dimension in martial art. There is the philosopher, like Bruce Lee. Mm-hmm. There is the chore- choreography, the choreograph people. Like for example, you see in movies the stunt people. They're incredible. Mm-hmm. Like the, or the one that does like forms and karate, like yeah. jumping, spin kick, back kick, like yep. acrobatic stuff. Mixed yeah. martial art. They are unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And there is also the the. The one that compete in, in fighting. Yeah. Like that's what I do. That I, I personally specialize in. Well, you also do the philosophy. I do a little bit of philosophy, but that's um that's you a know, consequence. We, we are all I guess, I guess we are all every, like we all practice the three dimension because martial art is I would say it's it whether you want it or not, you have to touch these three dimensions. Yeah. Uh, but you will specialize in one. I specialize my life in, in fighting like the real thing in terms of fighting competition and of course if you do martial art you'll be able to defend yourself because it's a self-defense however you might not be able to fight as an elite in the most prestigious organization and you might not be able to perform the stunt that for example the stuntmen I've done in in the the series I was playing in the Falcon and Winter Soldier They're, these guys are incredible they're like real life superhero things they do it's to me like it's it's fascinating it's amazing and also Bruce Lee the philosophy how many hours he he, 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 he took like thinking about these stuff you know I'm sure he did not just came out of out of nowhere you know like he was thinking like that's mean he slept on on this he, he how many hours? It's just unbelievable. Be like water, my friend. How exactly. Many, how many times has he thought about water going to bed uh, <laughs> before he said that? Uh, oh, let me ask a very important fundamental question about martial arts. We're both wearing a suit and tie. Uh, Joe Rogan thinks that wearing a tie is a huge disadvantage. Is it a clip-on or is it an actual tie? Are it's you an wa- actual tie. I really want So do you agree or disagree with Joe Rogan that wearing a tie is a... Is a martial arts significant disadvantage in terms of combat in a combat scenario in a fight i think it would be a disadvantage yes okay but did this i, I work as a as a security bouncer in, in nightclubs and event when i was 18 years old yes and um sometime i had to work in certain event that i was in suit and tie i never had to use 
my force to take someone out when I wasn't Sukhantai. But if I would have had to, before going to the table to physically take the guy out, I would have removed my tie and I would have removed my vest for sure. And I would have called back up for sure. And I would have probably used the element of surprise to be first on the guy. Yes. Uh, when you're in a bar, same thing. You call back up first and, and, and you make sure you ask the, wait, the waitress before to clean the table before you go. <laughs> yeah. And when you go, you have to use the element of surprise. Yeah. Because fighting, fighting in mixed martial arts and fighting in the street, it's two different things. And yes, I'm a, mix, I'm a mixed martial art competitor. That's what I've done all my life. But I had a lot of street fight in my life. A lot when I was in. What's the difference? What's like oh the. Oh my God, it's a huge difference. There is guys that if I would have a choice, you know, to fight. Like, for example, certain guys in UFC in a street fight and fight like other guys that are not in UFC, I would maybe sometimes pick guys that are not in UFC, yeah. not necessarily. Because in, 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 in a street fight, there's no referee that says go. It's the element of surprise. And when you're a nice guy, you're not the aggressor, you always have the element of surprise. That's what it taught me. Oh, interesting. Yes, because if... Aggression, you're sacrificing the, the surprise. The person will not come punch you without warning. It needs to. It needs to trigger some. It's something need to be triggered before. Yes. So if someone comes because he's looking for trouble, there is sign that he's looking for trouble. So I was just talking with Bass Rutan this weekend about it, and, and <laughs> I saw that every every martial art yeah. comes from like some martial art are from exclusively for competition. Yes. Like sport karate, uh, like certain martial art. But traditional martial, martial art are for the street, are for self-defense. And I start my background in, in Kyokushin karate, so it's for, and, and I did Japanese jiu-jitsu. So my background, before I even start training for mixed martial art, my background is in self-defense. And it's very important to understand that in a street fight, the element of surprise is everything. And there are no rules. You can go for the eyes, the necks, the, the it's surprises total, everything. Total ball game, you know what I mean? You have the the, the chair, the beard. The, the, there's so much more thing going on. So the idea of because you are a UFC fighter, you think you're invincible. This is BS. Anybody can come. Like if if a big guy who punch very hard, most people don't know how to punch. By the way, they don't know how to make a fist and throw it in a forward direction. But mm -hmm. if someone knows how to do it. I don't care who you are. If you could be Francis and Genu, someone come behind your head and bang. Or, or, or so let's say there, there's an argument and you get surprised by a punch. You can be dropped and lose a fight. That, that yeah. doesn't matter. Yeah. The element of surprise is everything. So you were saying remove all the sources of the elements of surprise. All the yes. uh, clear when, the bar, remove the tie. I and, still disagree with and, you about and, the tie. But and, 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 <laughs> <laughs> but, and ju just for your information, if someone comes looking for trouble and you see me do this and, and going sideways and yeah. that's my position that I'm, I'm thinking there that you maybe go. something will happen and I'm, I'm about that's a good I'm about thinking about doing the element I'm about to punch you or, or to do to, to do something to, to, to take care of this see place. to flip the table on you then wearing a tie is communicating the nice guy image so it actually gives you the freedom for more elements of surprise by wearing the tie if you take it off that's more you're limiting your options because nobody's going to expect the guy in the tie to do anything. I'm a big believer that 
sometimes it's not only materialism, it's what you project. That's true. Let's say I had troubles in a bar and I was able to deflect. The guy was looking for trouble talking to me and I was able to deflect his whole aggressivity by saying like, hey man, that's a nice shirt. Where did you get it? Like saying like something or stupid like this. Then it, it, it kind of break, break the momentum and he, you know, but the guy was looking for trouble. I don't want to fight you. I don't want to fight you, but I'm not going to wait until you pull, you, you make the first move because the first, the minute you, you touch me, you push me or you, you touch me, you declare war and the war is unleashed, my friend. And I'm, I'm taking you out of order with the necessary force, of course, you know what I mean? That's the thing with martial art. If you use the necessary force to take out a problem, it's okay. But if you, you know, you, you take advantage of it, that's when it's not all right because it's a weapon. So if someone comes up to me, that's my position. And now I'm, I'm, I'm assessing the situation, you know, that's, that's how they teach in self-defense here. Never put your hands down. Always hand there. Cause I'm boom or boom. Like, like what, what this is, this is very important and you never you're always your center line on the side. Ah, yeah, well, like this. If someone knows martial art, he will recognize that pattern. But if you go like this, if someone talks to you and you go like this, that's mean you're telling the guy that you want to fight. You don't want to do that. You don't want to, ah, yeah, um, that's, 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 you know, that's, that's the position. Because your hands are here, you know, whatever you can do, you're here. Well, also your ear tells a story. It's, like, it it's not everybody that knows that, however. It, some people might, might think that it's my mom grabbed me by the ear and pulled me because I didn't listen to her, you know? A real fight in the street and, and, and a fight in, in, in mixed martial art is a different ball game. What, what do you think is the best martial art to prepare you for street fighting? You know, people often kind of have this discussion of jiu-jitsu, maybe boxing, maybe wrestling. Do, do you think, when you talk about a young person studying martial arts to prepare themselves? for um, a street fight, it's often much different than a mixed martial art fight. And I know there's a lot of BS in the world of, of martial art, like self-defense, stuff that like, but I believe self-defense is, is, is very important in a way to understand the the situation, to understand those those situations that might occur, how to deal with it. Because not, not necessarily the, 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 we talk about the technicality, we talk about the tacticality, the tactics, you know? Like when I'm talking to you about the element of surprise, it's important, this is not technique. A technique is a punch or, or techniques that I physically will use to enable my, 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 my opponent, my, my aggressor. Tactic is the tactic I'm telling you about is in a street fight, if someone is looking for trouble and I feel the heat rising as the conversation goes, that's the position I'm going to take. And I have to be first. I cannot let him go first. So I have to strike first or do something. This is the first thing that generally and I, I have to, to, to agree on. Um, after that, of course, there's the, the knowledge. If you're a professional fighter, you have a, a huge advantage once the fight is started, the war is declared, now it's everything goes. But generally speaking, the person that will intervene physically, that will have the first blow or the first, you know, the, the first punch will 
have a huge huge advantage. It's like doing a hundred meter race and having a head start, you know. And and that you don't you can't prepare for with any martial art. Yeah, and and if I'm a smart guy, I know how to fight. If a guy like uh, an heavyweight champion comes to me or like 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 a, you know, I know I know what what to do to dis disable him. Like, like boom or here and, and or the the neck, you know. Like and if you if you blind him, what what is he gonna do? You know what I mean. So, so, or, or a bottle, or, you know what I mean? So, so the element of surprise is, it's everything. So that's why it's always, always good to be the nice guy and not looking for trouble. Because if you're not looking for trouble, you have the head start. You have the option of having a head start. So what you're saying is being a nice guy is the, is the best form of self-defense. Maybe a little humor. Yes. Uh, and, too. <laughs> and you know, how I have learned that. I've learned that when I was a kid. Yeah. I was about maybe seven, six, six years old. We used to to play in, in Montreal. There's a lot of snow. We used to play King of the Mountain. Yeah, that's the first combat lesson that I've learned in my life. <laughs> uh -huh. And I managed somehow. It was a lot of kids. I managed to get on the top of the mountain. And uh, I f another guy came come in on the top of the mountain, and he he was angry that before I I was there before him. And when you play King of the Mon the Mountain, it was a, a mountain of snow. You don't strike each other. We just wrestle and push. And and I managed to be first. And when he came. He says to me, say, uh, okay, you, you want to you wanna fight? And I said, yeah. I didn't know what he mean. Like, I want to fight, you want to wrestle? He say, I, I say, yes. He punched me right in the face. Boom. And then I, I, and then I fall on, on the bottom of the mountain. Then I, when I fall down, I remember that vision in my life because it, 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 it's, it's, I will remember that for the rest of my life. I'm about to stand up. And I see the blood coming out of my nose. I see the, the snow is red because my nose is bleeding. Now I, re I remember the element of surprises, everything. <laughs> my first street fight, I lost it. I, got, I didn't get knocked out, but I, I, got, I got dropped on yeah. the bottom of the yeah. snow mountain. Yeah. And I was like, ah, oh, he got me because I was not expecting it. My hand, I was not expecting a punch. So from there, when I felt the, the, the heat, of an, in, during an argument or something was not right, I always stroke first. I didn't win all my fight because sometimes there were more than one guys on, on me, you know? But I think it's important to not be the aggressor so you have the element of surprise and I, always I, use that in your favor. That's so brilliant. Let me uh, go from the very practical to the, the most impractically huge question about the meaning of life. You said that one uh, great depths of unrelenting sorrow punctuated by great peaks of joy and liberation the result is delicious so uh what do you think is the meaning of this whole journey that we're on this life what makes life delicious to me you know satisfaction is the end for me like 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 i always <laughs> if i'm satisfied that's mean I have no nothing to live for. Yeah. I'm talking. I'm, I'm not talking only about my career. About I'm talking about my life. What I, what do you want in your life? You want you want kids. You want a family. You want to be champion. What do you want in your life? You have you have like a long term goal, short term goal. In mixed martial art, I achieve what I needed to achieve. I'm satisfied. I'm no longer the same Georges Saint Pierre than when I was on, begging for a title shot on my knees. Mm -hmm. I move on for it, from it. Now I had a chance to go into movies. Mm -hmm. Now that same 
insane, that same insane drive that I had to be the champion in the world. Now I put it into acting. Like I'm having a lot of acting class now. And luckily for me, the timing was amazing. I got I got cast for the the Falcon and the Winter Soldier who, that mm-hmm. is on Disney Plus channel. It's a huge, huge project to be part of for me because it's like you play basketball, you have a chance to go for the NBA right away. I was very lucky. Uh, the timing was just too perfect. And so you need to constantly challenging yourself and having goals to achieve. You know, like that. keep your brain activated. Like keep working. And the proof of that is that you see sometimes some old people, like when they retire, very often, sometimes you see that they, they got sick and they die or, or because they, 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 it's either because sometimes we think we 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 we, 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 we make we benefit we, we do something good for them by making not work and giving them a break. So in our mind, we're like, oh, he's gonna be able to relax. But in their mind, it's not good because they're not busy. They have nothing to live for. Like my like my dad is used to work all the time, and he has always something to do. <laughs> he's retired now. I myself now call him by force to find him some job. Hey, dad, can, can you come uh, in my house? I have this thing mm-hmm. to repair. I don't know how to do it. So it gives him a, it gives him a, a reason, not, not to live on because he has other things to do, but, but what I mean is also in life, I think you always don't be afraid to aim high. Don't, don't be afraid to fix your objective very high and never be able to reach it. Mm-hmm. Be afraid and, of reaching your goals, essentially. I mean, you always have to keep moving it out. You think there's a, it's an interesting question because you've been acting in some really exciting things. Do you think there's a a dramatic role where it's a basically, you know, <laughs> you go full Robert De Niro in Taxi uh, Driver? Is, do you think there'll be a full length feature film with I, George St. Pierre? I, I like in there is level to this thing. I'm aware that I have to restart as a white be- white belt. And for some people, it could be discouraging. But for me, man, it's great. I love it. I freaking love it. I embrace it because everybody told me like I, I would never be able to do it. And it's fine. But the and also the outcome of a failure in the sport of mixed martial art is much more serious than the outcome of a failure for a movie, for example. For for a, if you zig when you should zag in a fight, you get knocked out. If you zig when you should zag in on set, oh cut, we'll do it again. And I know that I will be most likely be cho- chosen for action martial art roles because that's my background. There is this new trend in Hollywood now when they want someone to play an Italian guy, they're gonna choose a real Italian person. When they want someone to play a Russian guy, they're going to choose someone who has a real Russian background. Now they want a, a real martial art fighter. I've done fighting all my life. I just need to improve my acting skill. But when I train in acting, I get myself out of my comfort zone. I'm not playing a role of a martial art guy. I'm playing like romance, uh, comedy, d- drama. So when I go on set and playing the role of a of a badass martial art guy it's it's easier so like in training for a fight i always make my preparation 
harder than the actual task. I would love to see where, I don't know if you've seen The Wrestler with uh, Mickey Rourke. Oh yeah. Th those types of films, I would love to, uh, I would love to you do something like that. The, if not now, then in 10, 20 years, I could see that. That would be amazing. It, it's There's levels to the game, right? Yes, it's gradual. And, I don't, and I'm aware that I, I, I don't want to take something on my shoulder that I won't be able to deliver. It's like a fighter who wants to go for a title shot right away. It could, it could very well break him. You know what I mean? And I don't want to do that because I know I've done some gigs in the past, but I was not focusing on it because I was focusing on competing as a martial art martial artist in competition in MMA. But now I take it very seriously. So I cannot do the same mistake again because I've done some stuff. I've done it for the money and it was good. It was fun to 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 be beat up by Jacques Van Damme, Steven Seagal and everything. But but my acting was not on point, you know, at that time. So if I ever every time I'm gonna come back from now on on on, on screen, you need to be sharp because you cannot mess it up. If you mess it up it's like a loss on your record. You, you're not taken seriously. So, so that's how I see it. And, and it's very fun because I, I had a chance to talk to a lot of guys. And on top of all the class that I'm having, like a few days ago, I was with Danny Trujo. And I, I always seek the advice of actors when I, when I see some of them that, because I really admire how they do, you know, how they project their emotion. And I asked him, Danny Trujo, I said, I said to him, he, he's an amazing guy, by the way, very nice guy. And I asked him, I say, how, how do you do to be, because you scared the hell out of me. How do you do to be so scary? Like, what is your trick? And he tells me, he's like, George, if you're threatening, if you threat someone and you scream at him, I'm going to kill you. It's not as scary if you're smiling and you say, I'm going to kill you. Like, and he says also to me that another advice he gave me is like, when you say this, think about you killing him for real, that how you hate him and how you're going to kill him. So the camera will take the emotion out. Don't try physically to do that. That's a mistake I used to do before. I used to physically show that I'm strong and angry and, and to be mean. So the, these are the just an example of tricks that I learned sometimes when I met an actor, I always try to learn from everybody that I met in my life. It's a difficult journey because then you have to go to some dark places as a person because you really have to imagine imagine some dark things. Uh, I, it's fascinating, actually. I, I think a lot of the actors, they have sometimes problems because of that. Because, because now I understand why. It's like if you work on your bicep, your bicep, will grow right it's a it, it because it, it it it's the stress that you put on it that, that will make it grow right emotions are i believe are the same way if you're used to dig inside of you down deep to 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 make your negative emotion depressive emotion comes out if something bad in your life happened you will fall into those emotions much more rapidly than someone who, who does not that every day. You know what I mean? Because it will it's like a muscle memory. Like if you program yourself to react a certain way, you will reach that point very often. So that's why sometimes you see some some guys they we often blame it on drug, but I think it's also because of the acting. They're used to be so 
on the hop top and sometimes they go to the down deep so they 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 they're they the, the boat extreme you know you gotta be psychologically tough and that's life this is i'm so excited to see you challenge yourself in that direction that's one thing that i'm a, a, a little bit afraid that happened to me i i i really hope i'll i'll always be uh you know like a problem having a problem to control my emotion be oh yeah too much extreme I hope it does not happen to me. And 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 if I feel that I'm going towards that, I'm gonna you know give up of, on on my new objective and find something else to to achieve. But in your personal life, you want to be real with your emotions. You don't want to. Exactly. It doesn't. You don't. You, just you, just like with biceps, you don't want biceps that are too big. You you <laughs> you are real, but you are extreme yeah. real. In, in and that's the that's the. That's what I think sometimes it could happen to actors sometimes when they go too much into their emotion. Like we talk about like sometimes guys that 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 commit commit suicide, perhaps, you know. Yeah. I don't know. It's it, because I don't know their real life, but it could be something that they get so much into their character. I didn't understand it at first because I never had acting class, but after a while that you have acting class, now you start to realize that yeah, okay, you understand why some actor get caught up in their emotion because that can have an influence on their life, right? You're on a fascinating journey. Uh, George, I can't tell you how much it means to me that you'll be so nice to me, that you'll give me so much respect. Just that that tells everything I need to know about you as a human being. With everything you've accomplished, you waste all your time and you're so nice to me just as a fellow human being. Man, I have so much respect, I'm so honored. And the energy you give me by just even showing up here I'll carry that forward for a long time to come, George. I love it. Thank you so much for talking today. No, thank you, Lex, for having me on the show. You know, I've been looking to talk to you for a long time. For me, talking to a guy like you, it's a, it's a great learning experience because I always learn. And uh, it's life is fascinating to me. And uh, all the experience that we have in life, you know, it's, it's something that can make us grow. And this experience for me just, you know, make me grow as uh, as well, you know. Plus, we look pretty damn sharp today. So, Man in black, my friend. <laughs> Man oh, in yeah. black. Thanks, George. <laughs> nice. Thanks for listening to this conversation with George St. Pierre. And thank you to Allform, ExpressVPN, Blinkist, Theragun, and The Information. Check them out in the description to support this podcast. And now, let me leave you with some words from Miyamoto Musashi. Think lightly of yourself and deeply of the world. Thank you for listening and hope to see you next time.